1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to black talk radio Network.com, helping you filter through the noise.
3: Real talk, black talk.
2: Now let's dig into some new research about something many of us are guilty of, using buzzwords and
3: corporate gobbledygook. NPR's Uri Berliner has a look at why it just won't go away. You've heard these phrases before, maybe more than you ever wanted to.
4: There's definitely some synergy here.
2: That is a win. That's a win-win. Let's get our ducks in a row here, guys. All right, here's the 30,000-foot view. Let's drill that down.
4: I'll beef it up. Can you put a
3: deck together? And then there's the more grandiose language so common in Silicon
5: Valley.
2: We're making the world a better place through Paxos algorithms for consensus protocols.
5: And we're making the world a better place through software defined data centers for cloud computing.
2: A better place.
3: Through canonical Make the world a better place?
5: What
2: does all
3: that even mean? All this word salad everywhere? It got Eric Anisich thinking. Why do people use jargon? Anasich teaches at USC's Marshall School of Business. Working with two colleagues from Columbia University, he set out to answer that question, along with another one. We also were interested in kind of, are
2: there certain types of people who may use jargon more than others?
3: They looked at published studies and ran some experiments that tested when and why people use jargon. And what they concluded is that where you stand in a social hierarchy matters a lot.
2: Using jargon is is one thing that people think will impress others.
3: Their research found that people with less prestige in an organization are more likely to use those buzzwords, like interns, new hires, first-year students.
2: What we show is that the lower-status people are much more concerned about how they'll be evaluated by their audience.
3: Molly Young has a lot of sympathy for people in that situation. She's a literary critic at New York Magazine and wrote an essay about corporate speak earlier this year. She says when interns use words like deep dive, they're just trying to fit in.
6: They're using it innocently.
3: Young worked at startups for nearly 10 years and says she knows the dialect only too well.
6: What I can only describe as fake words, scammy words, like BS words, so words like orientate or guesstimate or omni-channel or core competency.
3: She says when that kind of language comes from the mouths of people with authority, like corporate executives, it's not exactly innocent. She recalls one boss who gave long PowerPoint presentations in a windowless meeting room with no air vents.
6: She would be sort of going on and on about deliverables, uh, that we needed to operationalize certain processes in order to optimize shareability.
3: As those words blended together into what Young calls a soup of meaninglessness, her fellow employees gamely pretended to listen.
6: But none of our brains were actually in the room.
3: And she says the result was numbing and disorienting.
6: For me, the experience of um, having an executive speak to a group of of l- lower employees with those words, really got at what is disturbing about it, which is that it can also be used to sort of intentionally confuse people.
3: Young hasn't worked at startups for a while now, but that doesn't mean she's escaped business jargon altogether. It spreads, like kudzu.
6: A phrase will kind of float into my head like a little rain cloud, like level setting, and I'll just have a little shudder.
3: We're almost done here, and I can't let this one thing go. There's one piece of corporate speak that really gets on my nerves, learnings, with an S. I mentioned it at the end of my conversation with Molly Young. Her response?
7: Literally a phrase from Borat.
3: (laughs) It's right there in the title of the first movie, Cultural Learnings of America, Ford Make Benefit, Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Rory Berliner, NPR News.
5: There's no other way to put this. It's scary. I know this from personal experience. And right now it's a fear and a reality for so many people. Today, I'm talking about layoffs and how you can prepare if it happens to you. So when I say layoff, I mean when your job is eliminated because of a business decision or restructuring and it should have nothing to do with your job performance. I can tell you, I remember distinctly the moment that I got laid off from what was my dream job and it hurt. It was such a shock to the system um, you know, emotionally, physically. I was pretty, you know, wrecked. I always wondered, what could I have done to prepare for being unemployed? What does a layoff toolkit look like and how can you put yourself in a best position just in case this thing happens to you? I want to talk to someone who can answer my questions. Maybe someone who's gone through a layoff personally or someone who's helped a lot of people go through this transition. I want someone who can give me the answers I need.
8: When I got laid off, I didn't have a clue. Um, I was just in shock and I I was devastated. I knew that it was coming, but I did not take any steps to prepare for it, which actually is why I do what I do now.
5: That's Susan Peppercorn. She's an executive career transition coach, and she works with people who are undergoing professional change.
8: The reality is that being loyal to an organization and having an organization be loyal to you doesn't really exist anymore.
5: I know it's kind of bleak when you think about it. Companies aren't responsible for shepherding us through every stage of our life.
8: And so people have to think about how do I manage my own career? Because really you are in charge.
5: So tell me more about managing your career, starting early, starting now. What are the biggest steps?
8: Weekly, just keep track of your accomplishments. You're going to have a list that you can use to update your LinkedIn, to update your resume, to talk about on an interview. And you won't have to go through that painful process of reconstructing that over a period of years. Another one is to keep your network fresh.
5: What does that really mean? Like network? All right, it's not as bad as it sounds, trust me. It is simply building relationships with people outside the confines of your job. That's it. You wanna build a really strong network, but especially before you actually need it. And that takes time. You wanna nurture and grow your network early and often. So they'll be there for you when you need them.
8: Most people in excess of 70% find their next job and a job that they really want through their network. Another one is if you do get laid off and a lot of people don't realize this, the day you're notified may actually be your last day. If that happens, your computer unfortunately is taken away from you. Along with your documents and your contacts,
5: you want to back up anything you think you might need in the future. Primarily, this means email addresses and phone numbers you want to keep. Do
8: a financial wellness check. It's good to take stock of your finances. Where are they? How much do you have? Um, also, if you get laid off, you have to,
5: you know, you have to know how your health insurance is going to get paid for. A good rule of thumb is six months saved up of living expenses. If you're worried about the job market, Susan said that recruiters are more gracious in understanding, looking at people's lapses in their careers, especially due to the pandemic.
8: Don't panic if you don't find a job right away because recruiters and hiring managers, they understand the impact of the economy.
5: I love Susan's tips and I can't wait to put them into practice. So it's Friday. I'm gonna look through my week and write down some accomplishments. If like I felt this week, you know, I stayed relatively on task. I felt pretty good mentally um, and physically and personally, so I'm going to chalk that up as a win. This is what remote networking looks like. That's me on LinkedIn. I have a hard drive. It's kind of old, but it'll get the job done. And I figured out my financial wellness. Forgive the visual, but uh, I'm not showing you my bank statements. Okay, now I feel prepared. Susan's tips, though, were just the start. I laid down the groundwork for something that I'm going to be doing for the long term. Building a network and maintaining it, that takes time. And keeping track of your accomplishments, well, that has to be ongoing and routine. Being prepared for anything that comes your way, that is just simply good career management. I hope these tips help, and we're all in this together.
3: Black
4: brother. Black brother hell.
5: The coronavirus pandemic has dealt a particularly hard blow to Black
9: and Latino business owners across the country. In our series, The High Cost of COVID-19, WFAE is looking at the economic impact the pandemic is having on Black and Latino communities in our area. We're kicking it off this week on WFAE.org. And this morning, we start with WFAE's Grayson and Doctor
10: and Charlotte's Black Business Community. It's the lunch rush at Cuzzo's Cuisine. Staff behind the counter call out orders, and the cooks respond, ringing a bell to signal each new order. Smells of fried fish fill the air, smooth jazz flow from the speakers. The crowds are back at Cuzzo's, but owner Andario Johnson says when restaurants were ordered to shut down in March, he had to pivot and focus on his food truck.
11: You wound up going to go into neighborhoods and residential areas, you know, apartment complexes and going to the people when it was home during the pandemic.
10: His restaurant sits in the West End. It's one of the oldest black communities in Charlotte, but gentrification is changing how it looks and who lives there. Johnson C. Smith University archivist Brandon Lunsford says the community was once full of black owned businesses like nightclubs, barbershops and restaurants
2: middle class black families started moving here because the culture of the, of the university and the intellectual environment. In neighborhoods like McCroy Heights, there was black doctors, principals, ministers, I mean, uh, lawyers, dentists, doctors. I mean, there was middle class families at a time that just wasn't really a common thing to happen.
10: But while the community is changing, Black entrepreneurs like Johnson remain hopeful that it'll bring more business. Johnson applied for federal relief with the Paycheck Protection Program, but was denied. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg Black Chamber of Commerce estimates about 10 to 15 percent of Charlotte's Black-owned businesses landed a PPP loan during the first round. One barrier was the lack of a banking relationship. The New York Federal Reserve surveyed small businesses around the country last year and found fewer than one in four Black-owned businesses had a recent lending relationship with the bank. Here's Charlotte Mecklenburg Black Chamber of Commerce Director Shanty Williams. If
12: you're a larger company, you probably already had a banking relationship. You probably already had your financial documents ready. The banker may even have called
10: you. A lot of Black businesses are also considered micro-businesses, with 70% across the country having fewer than five employees. If you're a micro
12: business trying to play in the small business pool, you get drowned out very quickly. And that's exactly what we saw with the
6: PPP
10: loans. To keep their businesses running, Williams says a lot of owners in Charlotte sold equipment, got other jobs or a side hustle, or used money they had been saving for years. This was the case for Black Light Tattoos owner Lamont Love. When he closed his doors during the shutdown in March... He relied on savings to stay afloat.
13: You know what I mean? I'm pretty decent with money. You know, it wasn't hurting. You know what I mean? As far as like, you know, I I was prepared.
10: Love reopened in May with safety measures in place and by appointment only. Since reopening, he says business has picked up significantly. Both Love and restaurant owner Andario Johnson are focusing on making money right now in case there's another shutdown. For WFAE News, I'm Grayson Doctor.
9: This story is part of a collaborative series examining COVID-19's economic impact on Black and Latino communities. The series is produced through a collaboration among WFAE, the Charlotte Ledger, Q City Metro, and La Noticia. It's supported by funds from Facebook, the NC Local News Lab Fund, Google, and WFAE members.
14: To news now of an important first in Annapolis, Sydney Barber will be the first African-American woman to serve as Brigade Commander at the U.S. Naval Academy. It is the top post for midshipmen. She starts next semester. Sydney Barber, welcome and congratulations. Thank you so
7: much. Appreciate this opportunity. It's so great to be here.
14: Yeah, we're very happy that you're with us. Tell me, what does a Brigade Commander do? What's the job description?
7: So I guess in, if you were to look at it in a civilian sense, the brigade commander is what someone would describe as a student body president. So I am the sole representative of all 4,400 midshipmen to the commandant and to the superintendent. So I'm the link between the midshipmen body and our senior officership.
14: So you told me kind of what a brigade commander does. What do you, Sydney
7: Barber, want to do? Like, how are you going to make this special and make it yours? I feel like I have the heart to do it. My purpose and my objective is to build a team, um, people who appreciate each other, appreciate every single thing that every person has and brings to the table, who are really embracing our our blended organization and want to pursue a purpose no matter what that looks like, but are driven towards a shared shared and common goal. So that's what I want to instill in my staff. That's what I want to instill in the brigade as a whole.
14: I guess, first of all, if this whole military thing doesn't work out, please come work with me. No, no. (laughs) I would love to. Oh my goodness, that
7: would be amazing. (laughs) We
14: could use you at at NPR. Um, As I noted, you will be the first black woman in this role. Now, the first woman to lead the brigade, that came back in 1991, so not that long ago. Um, And back Mm -hmm. just then, in the early 90s, women were prohibited from flying warplanes, couldn't serve on warships Mm -hmm. at sea. The Navy and the Marine Corps have changed so much. Is there something, what's left that the guys can do that that you are prohibited from doing?
7: Oh, oh my goodness. Um, There probably are things out there that, some limitations that still exist. Um, There definitely are, but I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about all the, any restrictions, because I feel like we can keep, we can keep breaking glass ceilings. This is just one of many. Um, something that I, I've heard recently and uh, that I, I've really liked, and I've, I've said this a lot, is that with every every step that I take, I mean, I leave the ladder down for the next person. Um, and I, I've talked to uh, Miss Galena. She's been someone that's been a mentor to me the past week that all of this has um, kind of unfolded and the announcement has come about, and I've gotten the chance to talk to people like her, um, Ms. Janie Mines. Ms. she's first... the one
14: who, who was the first woman back in 1991. Yes, yes, Miss um,
7: Galena. Uh, um, uh, yeah, so, so she's been she's been reaching out to me. Miss Janie Mines, who's the the first African American female graduate of the Naval Academy. Um, she's also been I've been speaking to her in depth. Um, I got off the phone with um, uh, Simone Askew, uh, who was the first African American first captain um, at West Point. Actually, thirty minutes ago, I was on the phone with. Um, Dr. Ruben Brigadier. Um, so I've just had a, so many mentors who's also a brigade commander, um, a black brigade commander in, in the past, and so many people who who have inspired me. Um, who are throwing letters down to you, it sounds like. Right. And so when I think about this experience, I feel like it's special because it's not just about me. Um, it's important that this story circulates for the purpose of the next generation all over the world who can look at this experience um, and look at, at this story as something that motivates them and inspires them to, um, to amount to whatever goal that they have in okay. their life.
14: When did you know you wanted to join the Navy?
7: <laughs> I never wanted to join the Navy growing what? up. Um, so, no. my So, my dad, um, he was a graduate from the Naval Academy, class of 91. He played basketball here. Um, and something that they, they say is, once a midshipman, always a midshipman. And he lived by that everything everywhere anytime was all about navy this navy that i was tired of it by the time i was looking at colleges i was i was trying to get away from that um i wanted to write my own path but what i really fostered in my heart is uh is just a a drive for for wanting to pursue a, a career of service, no matter what I did, um, wanting to give back to the world, pour more into the world than, um, than I was getting.
14: The reason we're doing this interview, the reason this is national news is that you are breaking a big old barrier there in Annapolis. I wonder how, how big a deal is it on campus? Do your classmates care? Are you (laughs) Sydney Barber, one of them,
7: Um, you know, (laughs) like,
14: do you think about breaking the barriers as you walk around every day?
7: Oh, I, I try to keep a level head. Um, I try to stay as grounded as possible. I try to keep a low profile. My friends, my teammates, especially on the track team with me, they kind of laugh because they know who I am. They know that I'm, I'm the last one to want my picture taken. Um, I usually, I never post any stories on social media because I just don't usually like to document everything that's going on in my life and just the shift of the past week. They, they laugh because my face is everywhere (laughs) my picture is everywhere people i also i don't usually like to to talk in front of a lot of people or talk about myself but my mentors have actually helped me with that and um it's great to be humble and, and that's something that i try to be as best as possible but at the same time they're like you know you need to be you need to be confident you need to own this moment um own the fact that you are the brigade commander it took me forever to just say that to say those words because I don't, I don't like to flaunt. I don't, I don't want everyone to anyone to think that I'm any higher than them. So I'm going to try to talk to the person that's taking out my trash or or sweeping the floor outside my room, um, and, and make them feel special. But at the same time, uh, I need to also step out of that. Like I need to own this moment to lead the brigade, um, with confidence and with boldness.
14: I do look forward to the day when we are not celebrating these firsts when, when we're done, because Mm -hmm. it is just not news that, that a woman, that a black woman could do anything uh, that her male classmates or white classmates could do. Um, But it is also kind of a, it's great. And it's a big deal. And I'm sitting here thinking, if your grandmothers or great grandmothers could see Mm -hmm. you, they must Mm -hmm. be so proud.
7: (laughs) Yes. Um, I think about something that I I shared in, in a Founder's Day video about how I think about, I'm so humbled by the fact that I get to walk here and be at the Naval Academy and be someone's wildest dream. And uh, when I think about that, in, in my, the context of my own history, my own family, my own ancestry, I think about my great-grandparents were sharecroppers on a plantation in Mississippi. My grandmother now lives in Chicago. She was born on that plantation. Um, they would never even picture this moment. This America looks nothing like the, the America that they experienced. Um, and they, they died before they saw anything different. So oh, wow. yeah. I'm, I, I always take that, take that to heart. And I think about it pretty much daily um, as I go about my day here at the Academy.
14: Wow. Well, those are words to live by. Own the moment. Um, congratulations mm-hmm. again. It's, um, it's been a real pleasure and an honor to speak to you. Thank you very much. Sydney Barber, as of next semester, she will be brigade commander at the U.S.
15: Naval Academy. On Tuesday, close to 160,000 Americans were diagnosed with the coronavirus, a 79% increase from just two weeks ago. As COVID cases climb and hospitals around the country fill to capacity, nurses, doctors, and other healthcare professionals who are caring for these patients say they are burned out. I am Elizabeth Riley, and I'm a registered nurse. Elizabeth works in Cumberland, Wisconsin, where coronavirus cases have skyrocketed over the past few weeks. Back in the spring, she volunteered to go to New York City, where infections were surging there, and work in an intensive care unit. But now she's seeing troubling echoes of that earlier stage in the pandemic in her own hospital. When we don't have staff because they're out sick or out quarantined,
4: then we've got people who are picking up extra shifts and we have people working long long hours many days in a row and that was something i did when i was in new york and i didn't i didn't make it my full 21 days just because i was so sick and so tired because i worked that many days in a row of 12 hour shifts now we don't work 18 days straight of 12 hour shifts but we will work a lot of extra hours a lot of extra days Everybody has banded together as a team, and I think you're going to see that in any organization, especially this one where I work. Within the last probably eight weeks, we have seen a huge spike in COVID cases, and it has had a profound effect on what we want to do and what we can do, both in that there are high, high numbers of infected people in our communities, many of whom are winding up coming to our hospital. But we also have staff members who get infected with COVID
15: and then they can't work. But even as Elizabeth and her colleagues have banded together, she struggles with the number of people in her community who continue choosing not to wear masks. It's I don't want to say hurtful because I think that people who
4: decide not to wear masks are not necessarily trying to be hurtful. I think a lot of those people simply don't understand the truth of the situation or choose not to believe the truth of the situation. And when that affects my coworkers in the way it has, I find it quite upsetting because I believe I work with the best healthcare professionals in the country, in the world. I feel like they're sacrificing themselves to some degree for people who, for whatever reason, don't want to believe it's as big a problem as it is. It hurts my heart to see such really wonderful professionals having to put themselves on the line all the time, just trying to get through in the community
15: without getting sick. getting sick
9: getting sick getting sick
15: and that's a feeling other medical professionals say they understand
9: hello my name is Jean Ross and I am president for National Nurses United i live in uh, bloomington minnesota it's a suburb of minneapolis National Nurses
15: United is the largest organization of registered nurses in the United States. And we spoke to Jean at the end of March as the pandemic was gaining steam and nurses and doctors in hospitals were scrambling to respond. Today, Jean says resource problems still exist and there's a heavy burden on nurses to set clear boundaries in their COVID work.
9: We have to be able to speak up as professionals and say, no, I won't accept this assignment. Um, There aren't enough of me to take care of that type of patient. No, I won't go into that room with what you're telling me is acceptable PPE when I know better. No, you cannot put that patient in with other non-COVID patients because they should be separated. That patient is showing signs of COVID or SARS-CoV-2. Those are the kinds of things nurses as professionals need to be able to do to represent their patients and themselves. It does take a huge toll on nurses to have to be doing that because we are fighting so hard right now to do the right thing so that we don't become infected, so that we don't infect others. And every little stressor that you put on a nurse at this point is going to cause her or him to have that one little chink in the armor, so to speak, that they're fighting, all that cortisol, all that stress. I listen daily now, semi-daily, to nurses being asked about burnout and how stressed they are, how anxious, um, how little sleep they're getting. And I think most of us nurses will tell you, it's okay. We know that for a period of time, it would be bad like this, but we really expected better. We expected some relief, some respite. Don't worry so much about our burnout if you do what we ask you to do. Then we will be just fine. What they need,
15: she says, includes broad public support in petitioning the Trump administration to gear up manufacturing for more personal protective equipment here in the United States. You
9: have trusted us year after year. We end up at the top of the poll for the country's most trusted profession. There's a reason you trust us. You can trust us now. Please, please listen.
15: Over in Chicago, hospitals have seen an influx of COVID patients for the past two weeks.
12: My name is Kalila Gates. I am a pulmonary and critical care specialist at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. Back in March, April, there was that fear of the unknown. We didn't know what these patients would present. We didn't know exactly how to treat them. And now we have a much better understanding of how to treat them, but we are definitely exhausted. Uh, we have been doing this since March. COVID patients didn't go away. So this, this kind of idea that like now we're taking care of COVID patients, again, we never stopped taking care of them. So there's this level of exhaustion. There's this level of frustration in which we feared that we would be back here, and we hoped that we could do things differently so that we didn't get back here, and it just, we weren't able to do that. So
15: there's this fear of frustration on top of exhaustion.
12: Frustration on top of exhaustion. Frustration on top of
15: exhaustion. Dr. Gates and her colleagues have found some ways to manage that exhaustion. Now, more so than ever, this
12: idea of wellness is very important, and it's very much propagated So what do we do to keep ourselves well? And so a lot of that is a personal determination, but a lot of it is things that we do in the ICU. After rounds, one day we had a stretching session where we were just able to all get up and with the nurses and stretch, just talking with the nurses and sitting down and decompressing and just letting
15: people know that, you know, we're in this together and we're going to make it through this as well. Despite the burden the pandemic has placed on healthcare workers like Dr. Gates, she says she's not going anywhere. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't choose critical care medicine knowing
12: that there was a pandemic in the near future. But at the same time, this is kind of what we signed up for. And I think that's the approach that we take. And so yes, it's challenging. And I would not be telling the truth if I sometimes didn't at least pause and say, you know, what am I doing? But at the same time, like this is why I've chosen this, is to be able to help people. This is why I'm in academic medicine, to be at the forefront of a new illness and you know, be able to to present information and and data to help all of us get through so yes it's challenging and at times you do question like what are you doing but at no point did I ever truly say you know I don't want to do medicine anymore like this is what I've trained for and I'm able to do that and I think many of us feel the same way.
15: Columbus, Ohio, one doctor is facing many of the same questions about how to stay well while carrying out this critical work.
2: My name is Matthew Exline. I'm a physician at uh, the Ohio State University uh, Wexler Medical Center. I also serve as the medical director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit. We are in a distinct second peak at our hospital.
15: The Ohio State University Wexler Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, was hit with an early wave of cases in the spring which was driven back then by prison
2: and nursing home outbreaks in the state of Ohio.
15: Today, it's a different picture.
2: What we're seeing now is larger numbers of patients, and they're coming from everywhere. They're community members, uh, community spread. There's not really a theme to who is getting admitted other than they tend to be older and with other underlying medical conditions. But in terms of where they're catching COVID, all different kinds of, kinds of exposure. And the numbers were probably at least twice as high as we were in the early fall and probably three times as high as we were at, at kind of the low point in the early summer. I am in the short term very concerned. On the one hand, you spend all day working and planning on how you're gonna manage these patients. And then all of the ways you would unwind when you get home have kind of been taken away. You know, sports are, you know, here at Ohio State, we weren't able to watch the Buckeye football game last weekend because of COVID. I can't uh, go to the gym because of COVID. I can't take my family out to a restaurant because of COVID. And so it does feel like you can't escape the virus.
15: In a given week, he works with COVID patients managing symptoms at home, as well as the most critically ill COVID patients in the ICU.
2: There's the patients who are awake and breathing on their own and we're using a lot of oxygen to support them. And then the other group of patients are those that are really sick and they end up on the ventilator. And then the frustration is, obviously, they're no longer, generally speaking, not awake enough to interact with us. And on the unfortunate cases where the the patient's not doing better. It's a real struggle because, you know, when we normally have a patient who's dying in the ICU, we really want to make the family part of, you know, the care team and really want to let the family understand what's going on and let them be with their loved one as much as possible. And unfortunately COVID doesn't let that, that happen. And, And so I, I know you've seen all the media reports and everything of families having to say goodbye over, over, um, Facebook Live or Zoom calls, et cetera. But if you're on the ICU, if you're on the ventilator, you're not even awake enough and, and you can't have that connection of just like a loved one holding your hand at the end. And, and so that's, that's a struggle. And I think that you know usually some of the catharsis for a healthcare worker is even if you can't help the patient, you feel like you can help the family deal with the grief. And so our nurses, our doctors, they don't even get that kind of feedback. And so I think that's that's a real struggle when we when we take care of these patients.
15: But Dr. Exline says he keeps looking for ways to cultivate joy every day.
2: Just judging from my friends, I was inspired to put my Christmas lights up a lot earlier than I normally do, partly because the weather was nice, partly because I was going to have to work over Thanksgiving weekend, so I wasn't going to have time then. And partly just, you want a little more joy in your life. And so... With Christmas and the new year comes new hope that that 2021 is going to be better.
15: Here's to that hope indeed. And we're very thankful for the medical professionals you just heard from.
16: Mm -hmm. Not going to get my hopes up about 2021. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris waiting around the corner. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date Friday November 20 2020 so I have been told this is our weekly broadcast neutralizing workplace racism Uh, the reports have been plentiful about the workplace for the duration of the year they were uh, especially rife uh, this week. Cup runneth over, as they say. Uh, the RONA uptick uh, has caused uh, so many uh, shutdowns and what have you again and lockdowns. They're doing that again uh, in Washington State. So obviously that's had a huge impact uh, on work environments uh, across the world and then the holiday season and politics and all of that. It's just been lots and, and lots uh, with regards to uh, the workplace, uh, that's why I said it really should not be, for this broadcast specifically, it should not be lots of spectators and, I don't know, workplace, not really anything happening. That should not be, even if you're working from home, because there's been so many uh, different components being reported. In fact, I had the audio segment complete right for this week, and it was a lot. Even that was kind of bulky. I was like, wow, do I need to play all this? It is all related, but I had it complete. And then I'm just checking other news, uh, and I saw one report that was – it was about the same length as everything I just played, but it was one report just focused on how this is impacting older workers. And in the context of this report, older meant like over 50. Uh, and so they were talking about how – and same thing, white supremacy, racism, particularly workers who are over 50 and non-white, how they are being impacted. They don't have the same amount of savings as white people, and you talk about first hired Uh, Oh, excuse me, last hired, first fired, uh, particularly if you are an older non-white person, especially if you're an older black person. like, oh, yeah, get them the heck on out of here. But it was lots of different components that I was like, wow, I could have just played that in itself and scrapped everything I just played. Uh, And then I finished everything. I went to check and it was the first round of reports for things that were news for Friday this year. Uh, pops up when I go to check that out. Let's see. Meat
0: packing facilities have been hit hard by the pandemic. That includes Tyson Foods' largest pork plant in Iowa. The facility was temporarily shut down in April because of an outbreak there, and by the time it reopened the following month, a thousand workers had reportedly tested positive. Turns out now, according to a new lawsuit, managers took bets on how many workers would get infected, even as they took measures to protect themselves. Clark Kaufman of the Iowa Capital Dispatch first reported this story and joins us now. Thanks for being here, Clark. Good morning. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about the family that has filed this suit?
13: Yeah, we don't know too much about the family. Uh, we know very little. Uh, but, but it's basically the lawsuit has been filed by the family of a former plant worker by the name of Isidro Fernandez. Uh, we don't know how old he was or how long he worked at the plant. That hasn't been part of the lawsuit. There hasn't been anything that's been publicized, though. Uh, we do know that he left behind a wife and a son. And uh, they are the ones who initiated the lawsuit on his behalf.
0: Well, wow, So he passed away. From the vi- from the virus. Yes, he, he died,
13: died April 26, allegedly after contracting the virus in the plant. So
0: let's talk about the substance of the suit and this alleged betting pool. What can you tell us?
13: Well, the lawsuit, uh, which was initially filed in the summer, was just recently revised just this past week to include a new set of allegations, and it basically alleges that Tyson's guilty of fraudulent misrepresentation and gross negligence for requiring employees to work long hours in cramped conditions without the appropriate uh, protective equipment and without ensuring social distancing. But the most striking allegation is that in mid-April, uh, the plant manager, man by the name of Tom Hart, organized a cash buy-in winner-take-all betting pool in which supervisors and managers at the plant wagered money on how many of their employees would ultimately test positive for COVID-19.
0: That's uh, hard here, so not only were their employees being put at risk because of lax safety protocols, but um, this betting pool. I mean, that's just cruel. Uh, is is Tyson's saying anything about this?
13: Well. The- The allegations were made in a court filing nine days ago, but it wasn't until yesterday after the allegations were first publicized that uh, the company said anything about it. Uh, At that time, the CEO, Dean Banks, said he was extremely upset about the allegations, said they do not represent the company's core values. Uh, He went on to say that Tyson's retained a law firm to conduct an investigation, and the investigation will actually be led by former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. Uh, in addition to that, uh, banks said the company has suspended without pay the individuals who were allegedly involved in all this.
0: Just briefly, what does the family want? What change do they, they want?
13: They haven't specified uh, specific damages, but, of course, uh, uh, the lawsuit in, in, you know, s- seeks damages for the gross negligence and misrepresentation that's being alleged. But no particular dollar amount has been specified.
0: Clark Kaufman of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Thanks so much for sharing your reporting with us. We appreciate it.
13: Thank you.
11: How could I leave that one out? I mean, really? And we have talked about poor Tyson chicken plant. We've talked about them all year long, although I do want to be specific. I've seen a bunch of reports uh, with Tyson chicken chicken plants and tyson chicken plants throughout the u.s however uh the greater trend is meat processing plants period remember uh president trump uh when the rona kind of first was breaking out in the spring around april when they were doing the winner take all poll uh he passed that order uh, to, because it was an emergency they had all the lockdown like now they had all the lockdowns and such and there were outbreaks at different meat processing plants like Tyson uh, and he said oh we got to keep them open these are essential workers and blah 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 and all of this I've seen tons of reports uh, about a variety of plants since April I have weaved in my little PSAs in between then oh vegan that might be another excuse even though I've said now I have seen a smaller number of reports about some of the same in, uh some of the same problems crowded conditions uh racist supervisors managers not taking it seriously not providing a safe working environment if they provide transportation as opposed to having uh two or three Buses to transport folks, they'll just pack, you know, 80 people all into one bus. But ah, the Rona is overblown. They're just making that up. Fake news, fake news. Just get on the bus. Yeah, yeah, that type of thing. Uh, but I just haven't seen as many for fruit processing plants. But meat processing, it's been tons of those all the time. I've talked about it, all the rest. Anyway, I have said for I think most of this year, uh, take. Your personal safety, you have to make that a priority. That's even if, you know, there's no Rona, they come up with a vaccine, whatever it is, your personal safety, you have to make that the number one priority because no one else is going to care about you, especially if you are black. That's just facts. Now, uh, not only did the report say that the folks at this particular Tyson plant we're not providing safe position, uh, safe conditions. They said the manager was sitting back. Haven't we talked about that? The white people have been able to kick it social distance. They sit at home, you know, order some little tinctures online, go to Amazon and buy up everything, get their groceries from Whole Foods and everything loaded up to them. And then get on the Zoom, right, and use all the CCTV to monitor the employees, put a few penises On the Zoom, haven't we talked about that? We had our mom in the Bay Area. She said the white supervisor sitting at home, chilling. Oh, I'll watch on the Zoom. I'll do my supervision that way. Looks like y'all are having fun in my footies, chilling. Not only are they doing that at the Tyson factory, they're at home chilling in the footies, putting penises on the Zoom, and we got the winter take. all. they said it was in April, so we don't have NCAA. We're upset. Don't have nigger basketball for us to wager on. So, how many of you think going to get the road Let's set the over, under, and even pause. I am certain they left the white supremacy racism element out because a consistent component, the numerous reports that I said I've been seeing for all of the processing, the small number for the fruit processing, and then the lots and lots of reports about meat processing plants, The thread has been, uh oh, we got disproportionate number of non-white workers. And they said the specific type of non-white worker. A lot of these folks are immigrants. And they said a lot of these immigrants aren't even uh, Juan, you know, and Miguel, uh, the raping border hoppers from Mexico that are uh, uh, uh. some of these are dark people who came all the way from the continent. So, you know, we don't care about them. I mean, they're not even negros. These are, you know. Africans, like oof, whatever, let them all get the Rona. They probably brought Ebola with them. So, yeah, let them all get the Rona. Uh, but they said that consistently, uh, that that's a part of this, like grueling conditions, grueling conditions anyway. And then you add the Rona on top of that. And oh, yeah. So how could I not play that one? Like I already had my audio segment together. But I mean, this is neutralizing workplace racism. That's exactly what it is. And that's white people having Fun with racism white supremacy that's not just we're not going to make sure that you got hand sanitizer and a socially distance and all the rest of it it's in addition we are making a game out of the hazardous condition that you are in better few nickels remember did you see the old uh, old timey Eddie Murphy flick trading places we're going to lie on this blackmail and put him in jail and all the rest of it. How much are we going to bet? One dollar. How many people you think going to get the Rona? We got old OJ down there and Jamal. How many of them you think going to get the Rona? I think um, I'm putting it on 40. It looked like he's got his diabetes medication. He's all chubby, but he knows 20. Oh, yeah, I'm putting it on 20, 25. What do you think? 30, 35? What does it mean to be white? They keep saying that that tacky line was so many times in the audio clips. We're all in this together. No, we're not. We are still on the plantation. I feel uh, my I feel nauseous every time I hear or see that little tacky phrase. They got a billboard. It's like three miles from my residence. That says that uh, we're all in this together. I don't even remember the company that put it up, but I retch a little bit every time I see it. No, we're not. Eat more veggies. Definitely you do not need to consume any uh, Tyson meat products. Uh, Let's see the other tidbits that we heard. Now, the first report way before we got to Tyson folks wagering on the Rona, the first report, they talked about all that jargon in the workplace. Uh, I can relate to that. Certainly white people pussyfooting and. Buckets and buckets of words they say. They said specifically at certain times it seems they do all this word salad uh, so that the subordinates, Isabel Wilkerson language, don't understand and or become confused. That is frequently the deliberate deliberate desired conclusion or result from the word salad the buckets of words all that jargon That's what, make it plain so <laughs> we can understand what is being said and one thing you can do if that type of thing is happening it's a lot of jargon and you don't you really like you feel like you're drifting into to confusion ask a question let me just make sure that i'm you know clear so that i understand what's expected want to be bang up a plus Boom, boom, boom. And just, you know, try to repeat it back to make sure that you have clarity, because a lot of times in the system of white supremacy, it will be about deliberately causing confusion for non-white people. Uh, The segment you heard from Sydney Barber, black female victim of white supremacy, first brigadier uh, commander. Uh, She was going over, you know, some of her responsibilities and duties and her excitement uh, about, you know, getting this opportunity for this position. First black female uh, in this position. Uh, We had talked about racism, white supremacy in the armed forces. I believe the Navy uh, specifically. Uh, And I think white people, they're very good about doing this sort of uh, racial showcasing uh, to throw their P word in there, how much progress uh we're making and we are not racist and we are responsive to what's happening right now and look at miss barber you know or excuse me, brigadier commander barber you know laying out her agenda for what she's going to get a pause for lavina johnson probably a lot of other names i could mention but anywho um I thought the segment on being prepared for the layoff uh, painfully important. As I said, they've been talking about that exact thing uh, with the new round uh, of restrictions and lockdowns. I know particularly uh, industries that have been greatly affected, I guess, that are deemed not essential like restaurants because they're having to uh, close indoor dining and gyms and that sort of thing. Uh, And holiday season, especially right in the time where for a lot of folks, this is when they're uh, what they call make or break part of the financial year and have all this in place now, which might put a great damper uh, on the type of purchasing that people would normally do uh, for all of the wacky uh, holidays. Uh, As I said, painfully uh, prescient um, saying or some of the things that we talk about on a pretty regular basis, keeping uh, our resume up to date Uh, I am all about the being super frugal all about getting those contacts that's one of those things when we talk about the possessive adjective it's not your computer so you don't want to have information uh, pertinent information if it's networks contacts anything else uh, any data uh, on a device you don't own uh, so that if you are let go and they you know revoke your access and passwords and all the rest of it then you've lost all of that you know and white people are probably not going to assist you in getting that information back so absolutely be mindful of that if you have uh, any information or what have you on your computer that you i would say it shouldn't be stored there to begin with uh they have flash drives that are super cheap uh you can always email things uh to yourself even though i don't I'm not uh, a big fan of emailing things to myself uh, from the workplace. Um, Thumb drive, (laughs) thumb drive. I mean, you can certainly do it if you have to, but thumb drive. There are lots of other methods uh, that you can use, but making sure that you don't have data loss. It's not your computer. We talk about that uh, all the time. Uh, They. I forget. So glad I took notes. They mentioned, like when we talked about uh, good old Jeff Tubin, reading his book starting next Thursday. Good old Jeff Tubin, formerly with the New Yorker, he was terminated there. He is also employed at CNN, headquartered down in Atlanta, Georgia. CNN has not fired Jeffrey Tubin, and some of the news outlets have looked at that and, wow, like really? Like you can masturbate in the middle of a Zoom call? And. That's not worthy of a termination from CNN. Apparently, you can hang on, keep your job. All right. Uh, The segment where they talked about what happened at the Tyson processing plant, they didn't say the folks who were in. But what was it? Winner take all. I don't know how many managers uh, were participating, and I don't know how much uh, they wagered. But I mean, wow, you talk about holiday come up or I guess this is back in April so this is a come up for the summer like wow Uh, they didn't say that these folks got fired they said they were suspended now again hey I have seen I am aware black people who stole a stapler (laughs) and they got more punitive punishment it wasn't you're gonna be suspended until we figure it out. We're gonna count how many staples are in, see, you know exactly what you stapled and all that. Come to it, uh, we don't allow staple thieving Negras on the premises. You know, white people don't get fired; they get transferred. Apparently, suspended sometimes, but not fired. Uh, the email is untiljustice at gmail dot com. Untiljustice at gmail dot com if you would like to participate not be a spectator grand uh, you, and if you don't want to be identified or concerned about your voice uh, maybe standing out being recognized not a problem Untiljustice at gmail dot com we can read your commentary anonymously uh, if you have either suggestions uh, on what's being said or if you have your own situation and you would like feedback untiljustice at gmail dot com uh, for the rest of the folks 720 720- seven one six seven three hundred the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Broadcast again not for spectators. If you have thoughts Uh, contributions, suggestions, codification, uh, dial in, uh, non-white people, victims of racism should always have lots to share with regards to, uh, workplace racism. Uh, let's see, getting to email some of the folks who wrote in already getting one of these and then we'll get to the callers. Let's see. Okay, morning, Gus. I hope you, I hope you are doing great. And I just want to, uh, you to know that I venerate you and Mr. Fuller. I am still employed at my job because of your program on Friday evening, and by employing both you and Mr. Fuller's logic. This morning, as I was leaving for home, since I work a split shift. A coworker of mine was waving at me emphatically to get my attention. This coworker is a non-white, non-black person, so-called Mexican. Before I can say anything to her, she bellowed at me, stating that her supervisor is a race soldier. <laughs> Do what? Whoa! That is crazy. Wow! I was not expecting. <laughs> I was expecting all kinds of things, but all right, let's let's pick that up again. Uh, let's see. Stating that her supervisor is a race soldier, and that she is terrorizing her, and she wants my advice on racism. Whew, that is crazy. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> wow! I'm stupefied. Okay. Uh, I told her, just as you always say on workplace racism, white people will show you better than I can tell you. We've said that a few times this week. I went on my way yesterday. My supervisor, who is also non-white, non-black Mexican, told me that another race soldier supervisor is bullying him by minima oh by mimicking his mexican accent oh he had that sort of thing all the time they come anyway i told him to tell the race soldier that he is practicing white supremacy racism and that will make him back off all of a sudden these folks are getting terrorized and all of a sudden they want my advice again like you do say absolutely fascinating wow uh I th- that is crazy like I have never I've never been in a workplace environment where non-white people even black people have been like man these folks are practicing racism against me what do you think I should do I've never had that uh, happen in a workplace context I did think in the midst of all of this and I would think this even you know they'd be black people Uh, One thing that we say here all the time is uh, not talking about racism uh, in the context of the workplace. Now, if a non-white person came out and was saying such and such, you know, is practicing racism against me. What do you think I should do? I would in my mind have a thought like, hmm, this is talking about racism in the workplace. I would have to at least give a thought like, hmm, is this being recorded? Is this some sort of setup? Uh, As they say, I would have to give it some thought, especially if I don't know this person, like just, you know, keeping it real. We have had some folks who said, I think consistently for years, they do not help other victims of racism in the workplace. Um, If this is somebody I didn't know. Right. And I'm, you know, pulling up, as he said, and this person is bellowing at me. Hey. Gus, oh my God, can you believe, you know, just I found out they got a pole inside and they're betting on. Hmm, okay. I would just have to think, like, now, is this, you know, trying to get me on record? Like, yeah, I told you they were crackers. I knew they were crackers. All this, like, to get me on record with that type of thing. (laughs) Like, uh, hmm, I would at least have to pause for a moment before, you know, I just launch into, this is what I think you should do. Yeah, I don't know. That's just so peculiar. I have not. I guess other folks you can, you know, I'm trying let me go back. Have I had that where somebody, a non-white person approached me in a workplace setting to say the people we work for are practicing racism against me? What do you think? Yeah, I don't recall that ever happening in my I would have probably talked about that here on the program before several times. And what I said uh, in response to that. But, yeah, that is wow, that is startling. For a day, like if I know the person, it would be totally different. You know, let's go in the vehicle. That is something I'd be very careful about. I probably would not want to, or I would just be very mindful about where that conversation is taking place. Even if I like, if this was my mom, if this was Mister Fuller, again, <laughs> like man, these folks in here it, exactly race soldiers, and I suspect that they're practicing racism. And let's you know, brainstorm a little bit on the strategy. I'm going to bounce a few ideas off of link Oh. Uh, and we go in the car. Maybe like, let's go outside. Like uh, maybe we'll after we get off work, like be very mindful because they got Alexa and you know all the rest of it. Like I would be very mindful, even if you have tremendous rapport, you've known this person you know for 15 years or what have you, and you're very sure that this person is not trying to do anything untoward. Everything's on the up and up. Fine, no problem. Uh, but I'd be mindful just about you know people listen recording devices, all the rest of it. But if this is somebody, I don't know, like, Whoa, I don't, I don't know if it just based on my response, I would not exactly be running into this, you know, overjoyed with an opportunity to discuss counter racism uh, with another employee. Um, Not that I wouldn't be willing to help, you know, point them to policy and procedure for sure. Uh, But that's one of those where I would definitely remember like, Ooh, when you're in a work environment everything that you say like oh yeah like you don't want to be like the folks who are wagering on the rona pool and then you're doing this in april and now we get to november and this is public knowledge everybody knows about like you don't want to be like in that situation like anything that you say Write, email, text, anything that you do in a work capacity and particularly while you are on the premises. Oh, yeah, I am totally fine with all of this being transcribed, recorded, you know, whatever else you got. That's the way I would have to be thinking. So I would at least have a slight pause. If it's a stranger. But, you know. You can assist uh, if we have any folks, if that has happened to anybody like where you had a total stranger, non-white person approach you in a work, uh, workplace capacity, like, man, they're practicing racism against me. What are you and they're asking you for, like, input. If you can let us know, uh, I guess that would be cool. I think I, I've i heard both. I've heard some uh, participants on the program who said that they've been in that situation and they've been helpful. I've heard from other folks who've been in that situation and they said what I said. They're a little reluctant, like "Hmm, we got a lot of snitching encouraged on the plantation, especially if I don't know the person. But folks can let us know what you what you think about that situation. Black self-respect. I try to get that in consistently for the people who do. Reach out and hey, this is another victim of racism. I'm going to try my best to help to offer constructive information and try to guide them along so that they and I are not harmed and do not encounter any extra problems great fantastic that is black self-respect why study counter racism if you're not going to implement it uh, number again is 720 716 7300 the code five six four pound press star 61 if you would like to participate uh, if we have folks, if you have your own situation uh you would like to share uh feel free if you have thoughts on uh i guess the yeah being approached by another victim of racism, I guess if that makes a difference as i said my I would pretty much have the same thought process if this is a black person or a non white non black person victim of racism, but uh that you know would adjust your response. You would have to, you know, think about a little more if this is a non-black person as opposed to if this is someone who's classified as black. Uh, but if folks have thoughts on that and or you have uh, your own workplace uh, scenario you would like to address, folks who dialed in with a hand up, lines should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Greetings, Emmy. Yes, ma'am.
17: Now my got beautiful people, um, I'll make this really quickly before, really quick before I leave service. But in response to the email one, I don't know if I missed it. Maybe my phone dropped out, but did he or she, whoever wrote it, describe what they actually did do or did say to the victim of racism that approached them? And then for me, that happens all the time. My code is to help. Or when I say that happens to me all the time, I mean non-white people at my job are always Asking for advice on what to do when they are confronted with workplace racism. Um, my code is to always help non-white people to the best of my ability. Um, and my experiences, my experience is that non-white people help me for the situations that I've dealt with at my current job. Um, it's been non-white people who have pointed me in the right direction in terms of who to talk to, who have corroborated my experience and my story, so I know, like, did that really occur? I didn't just make that up. have shared with me their own stories um, so that I could develop a pattern, um, and who have shared with me tips and tricks to avoid certain situations or make the best out of my current place of employment, and they did that without knowing me at all. Um, So that's one thing that I really appreciate about my coworkers at my current position, Everybody was like, hey, let me tell you this, A, B, C, D, and they just told me everything. And it helped me so much. So um, I try to do that, too. Now, How I phrase it might be a little bit different, um, but I do still help non-white people. For a situation like that, my response would just not be tailored specifically to white people. Like, I wouldn't mention white people on how to handle, understand, or decipher white people or their codes. But I would, like I say, direct them to the policy and procedure. But I would also, like, my number one go-to is to document. The minute anything happens, that's the very first thing I say. You need to document the situation and make sure that you're taking notes. That way, if and when things um, escalate, you have a record of what's been going on. The other thing that I do that I tell people is to keep everything in writing. But for me, that goes for people who are classified as white and people who are classified as not white. I document everything and I keep everything in writing. So when people do approach me, those are my two go-tos immediately. Um, and then the third one is everybody has a supervisor. That's been my experience. I don't know, maybe small businesses might be different, but where I work, my supervisor has a supervisor. That supervisor has a supervisor. The HR lady had a supervisor, you know? So um, if I need help or if someone were to ask me, I always say, ask the person above them, you know, what you should do. Um, the one thing I don't do is say, talk to them directly. That's like one of my don'ts. Don't talk to them directly, whether they're, um, honestly, whether they're white or not white, I haven't had the best experience of, directly talking to non-white people um so you know like having that verbal communication sometimes I'll let my actions speak and, and that could be particular to the type of job that I have but I'm curious if that person did say what they did say and how the person responded and then where did they get that language from is this someone that they've talked to about racism before and race soldier is a term that they were given or is this person already privy to, um, Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. Or the cows. Like I'm a little bit more curious about that. So anywho, thank you all for listening.
11: That's, that's a part of what startled me with this, uh, email. Namaste. Uh, I wasn't sure if the coworkers, non white, non black, if, are they already familiar with Mr. Fuller's concepts? And so they're communicating with him in that manner. Now, that would be even more startling if somebody I didn't know ran up to me in a workplace setting and was using that type of codified language like, whoa, uh, I would be thinking like, ooh we are really close to solving this problem or I'm about to be set up. Like I have absolutely nothing to say. <laughs> like it would be one of the two. Like I'm going to have, especially if I have never talked to this person and they're just running up and saying that like, wow, like uh warp speed. We are really close to getting this here problem taken care of. Um, so yeah, I don't know if the person is listening or maybe they can call in. That's one. I don't know if he, I just substituted and used his own language. Like maybe they ran up and said, you know, these crackers are getting on my nerves. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, they got, we got bigots here. I don't, you know, they got white privilege and I don't know. Um, So that would be one. Did they use that language specifically race soldiers terrorizing me advice on racism? Apparently the situation was, uh, they were bullying him. Uh, the person who came to make this report, bullying him and mimicking his uh, way of speaking so-called Mexican accent and the advice that he gave was to tell them they are practicing racism white supremacy uh, when they do these things and that that will apparently this is a white male that will back him off Um, yeah that was the advice that was given Uh, I'm always a big fan of being in the question lane like even that can be uh, I think Mr. Fuller says one way you can do that in a question. Hmm, that sounds like something a racist would say, Billy, are you a racist? And you can wait. That's when you can have your pen and pad ready. And boop, boop. when she said document Emmy said document, Ooh, that's a lovely one. Like they come up. Hey, what's cracking, Holmes? ¿Cómo te llama? And all the rest of it, right? They're going to mimic your Espanol. Oh, er, (laughs) mount your pad and just write all that down. Or even the recorder, like, ooh, love that one. (laughs) Because then you'll have the audio of it. Uh, Repita, por favor. And then you can do the question that was just given. Sounds like something a racist would do. Are you a racist? See or no? And we get the answer. They can give you the, their funny Espanol impression on that one too. And then, boop, write that down. That would be a good one. I'm always an advocate of being in the question lane. But that was the advice that was given. Uh, if I guess, if we have Signal really quick before we lose Emmy. Uh, do you have a guess as to why the folks are coming to you in the workplace? Or are you known for having like a lot of black self-respect and, you know, someone who is super competent and doesn't take any any nonsense? Is that why they come to you? Are you known for talking about racism in the workplace? Why is it that, you know, you think folks are seeking you out for advice?
17: I won't take complete credit for it. I think it's part of the culture at my job, especially for the position that I'm in as an overnight. Most of us are non-white Black, so, you know, we're in the facility. There's a lot of talking. So that already, I think, was there. But then also the way that I carry myself, like I'm known to be very, very quiet and to myself, but also very professional. Like it's now known that you really don't want to mess with me when it comes to that. Um, you know, like my money or my job or my professionalism. And then the way that I speak, I think is one thing too. And so there are some that um, I wouldn't, I would say, yeah, I would say I trust them a little bit more in terms, not like I trust them with like my life or anything, but I trust that what they're trying to do is remain professional under certain circumstances where some people might be just looking for drama. Um, so the ones that are really trying to, solve a problem, keep their job or something like that. I do talk to maybe a little bit more in depth and so those are now the ones that continuously talk to me and ask me questions and things. Um, but yeah, like anyone that seems messy, you're not going to get much out of me, but someone who's like, listen, I'm going to check out and I don't know what to do. Oh.
11: Signal, we might have lost her are you there Emmy? not hearing you not hearing you Uh ah, might have lost her we'll see if we if we uh get her back on the switchboard we'll see if we can pick up cuz that was I thought that was important uh in terms of being able to have some sort of uh discretion In terms of if it's a victim of racism and they seem sincere, like they're, they're being harmed and they're, you know, sincerely looking for assistance. Uh, And I think she was saying, just being stressed out, like, what am I, what can I do (laughs) to try to get some, some remedy here uh, and and trying to be helpful documentation. She said that just trying to be helpful and, or is this someone who's, you know, something a little suspect about their conduct, that sort of thing. Uh, Let's see. Uh, uh, uh yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. Lost our signal. Uh, I look out and see if we can get her back on the board. Uh, glad we got the, the better chunk of that before she departed. Uh, let's see the number again, seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. Decode the code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six, one. If you would like to participate, uh, let's see other folks who dialed in. If you have a hand up, your either your own situation or response to uh, our first person who wrote in, uh, feel free. Can be heard. Greetings. Retired firefighter in Florida.
1: Greetings, Gus. Greetings to everyone. Um, uh, to the, uh, question of the evening. Uh, i uh i would basically uh you know s- sensing on sincerity out of the person i would uh just basically uh ask them uh if i didn't know know them uh do you think that you are a victim of racism white supremacy and uh they if they say yes, then I would uh recommend that they buy Mr. Fuller's book. I would tell them how to buy his buy his book by his by his books and uh just leave it at that you know if, i mean I wouldn't necessarily be having long conversations with them. I don't even think it's necessary uh to do that uh that person would eventually would have to become their own leader uh in itself, so I would guide them to a to uh, his books to work as a guide so they can make their own decisions a lot better when it comes to the workplace uh, and the racism that occurs in the workplace uh, as far as that concerned. And I just recommend a book. I, I don't see anything uh, that can be considered to be a danger, if you will, on on the person that would be in that positions that position I don't, I don't see any danger that would occur on that by recommending a book to that person uh, as far as they're concerned that will be up to them on where and when they read it <laughs> and uh, if they if, if there was some su- such thing as uh, a continuation of discussion it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be at the work site. It wouldn't be at the work site. It'd be uh, some other place other than the work site. So it it couldn't be said that we are talking about that or having meetings on that subject in the workplace. Although I did do that. (laughs) I I did do that myself and several others at our own risk, but I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else to do that. But uh, no, they can you know I, I can see a situation where uh also where uh uh I don't see anything wrong with non white people. Um uh, the the relationship of one seeking to dialogue with another non white person, but it wouldn't be in the workplace. I put it there it wouldn't be in the workplace the the dialoguing. And that person based on me giving them a reference if they are sincere, they would they would uh, read instead of that book, including uh, what's Mr. Ed's last name that wrote that wrote the pamphlet Williams. Yes. And also, Mr. Uh, Williams, uh pamphlet uh, pamphlet. Also, I, I would direct them on how to get both of those two things. And uh, they they would be basically become their own uh, answer to the problem. Wow well, Because i mean I, I don't i don't i don't see where something like uh them mimicking uh the the white people mimicking them would be some immediate emergency as far as that're concerned uh but i if if requested or if solicited a non white person to me i i would just give them some resources, that's all. I would give them some resources on the subject.
11: Right on. Right on, retired firefighter. That's a, I think that's a logical, uh, important suggestion about uh, if it's going to be maybe a few more words in this exchange. Not on the job site like critically important um you do not want as i said you never know who's listening in it could even be another non-white person who overhears or a white person who overhears and all that and i mean non-white people get accused of things all the time like you do not want to be overheard uh and then the next thing you know you are accused of being the radicalized Opalaka twelve and you know, they're holding secret meetings in the attic of the fire department and, you know, strategizing about that's how they're exactly going. what it was. See, see? see that's ex- and that's what it'll be. Like you all could be talking about going to make ice cream <laughs> afterward oh, we've got militant Negroes who are plotting chemical and biological attack and so, you know, it's just for about a billion different reasons. I would have great caution uh, about having any sort of uh, dialogue about racism, white supremacy in the workplace, even like he said, just uh retired firefighter said he would just, you know, suggest, Hey, you can check out Mr. Williams book, check out Mr. Fuller's book uh, and leave it at that. If, you know, asking them, do you think you're a victim of racism? First, we had uh, a victim of racism. She was in uh, Japan. Okay. Other side of the world. She said it was very similar and she was talking to a black person. That's why I said it really wouldn't, you know, make a whole lot of difference, but whatever. She was talking to somebody classified as black and said, hey, check it out. Dr. Welsing's work. Great. Awesome. He took the book and showed it to the white people like, hey, look at here. Look at what she's reading. Isn't this crazy? Got one of these radical coons? Fire her. Fire her right now. <laughs> like, man, like. I just I would have pause uh about what I said and I would certainly even if I trusted the person a thousand percent, it's my mom, like, okay, I know she's not gonna rap me out. At least not today, I don't think. Okay. Let's have this conversation off the premises. Like we can meet, have sweet potato pie, it'll be great. And then we can talk about this as long as you want. Come up with all kinds of strategies. Maybe we can even three way Mr. Fuller in, but not here on the job, like man. Uh let's see, I think we may have uh, got Emmy back. Uh, We lost you right at the point you were saying being able to use some discretion. So if you can see that the person is coming up and they're not really talking about anything and, you know, maybe want to talk to you about racism, you might not say too much, as opposed to you said a lot of times to people that come to talk to you, they are sincere. Uh, They, you know, are stressed out and you try to do what you can. Uh, And I think that's where we lost you. Can I be here? Yes, ma'am.
17: Okay. Um, I do apologize about that every time, but that's, that's essentially what I was saying. Uh, Yeah. Trust may not be the best word. I think you have to be scrupulous. Well I am scrupulous and I have cultivated a spirit of discernment so that I can be very choosy about who I choose to help. Um, If I sense messiness, on a person's part, um, I'm, I'm happy to listen, you know, most times I don't want to, but I understand people needing to vent and whatnot and I'll listen, but you're probably not going to get anything out of me. And I definitely don't do anything that will lead them to, uh, at my job, um, lead them to the cows. (laughs) Since I do talk on the cows. So I probably don't lead them to Mr. Fuller, uh, anything on YouTube, like anything that could lead them back to me. Um, I don't know if I have a a very distinctive voice or not, but I don't do that. Um, And and certainly not my books. However, one thing, uh, like the books that I truly rely on, like Dr. Welding's book, Mr. Fuller's book, um, I do recommend other books um, because some people have asked me like, Hey, you know, what are some good books to read? And, you know, things like that. So some of the other texts that, we've shared and talked about and vetted out, I will share those. But those two particular books, um, Mr. Fuller and Dr. Welling, At My Place of Employment, no. <laughs> that is way too close to home for me. Um, but one thing, I didn't get to listen to the woman that's classified as white talk about workplace racism. I still haven't listened to that previous broadcast. So I don't know if she was helpful or not, but I was under the impression that she also wrote a book, in which case I would direct, people there. That's something that it hasn't come up recently, but I would direct people to that white woman um, because she's the one talking about workplace racism and like, why not? And then another thing, I don't think that there's anything that's happening at our places of employment that is new, in which case you can Google it. And I do that sometimes too. Just Google your situation. Um, I'm being harassed at work people are mocking my accent, things like that. And you can probably find other news clips or other people sharing their stories and what they did specifically. Um, and so that is something that I would tell that person specifically, like if they're mocking, you know, your accent or your language, you are not the first and you will not be the last, in which case you can totally find people who have shared their experiences. And YouTube, I love YouTube, um, You can, you can YouTube just like you Google and find people sharing their stories and what they did. And a good person will share what worked and what didn't work and what they would do differently. So those are some other things that I would offer up to someone who was really trying to solve their problem um, and, and, and try to keep their job too. So thank you all for listening to me again.
11: Much obliged. Emmy stay safe. Glad we were able to get total thought there. Um, I think that's that's a excellent code uh, about Mr. Fuller, Dr. Welsing. Maybe books in general. Like I don't know. Whew! I mean, we would have to be like super tight for me to even be like, you should check out Delectable Negro. The man, not Urugu. Like no way. <laughs> like uh, I can't even. <sighs> man like would I even stupid talk crazy talk probably not yeah I probably wouldn't even do a book recommendation uh, it would have to be something real generic um, maybe something foodie like if they were talking about how it all began or something like that or well, no nope, not that one not this guy of race. yeah it would be hard diet for a small planet like that's something like that's just about food basically Yeah, I would be real cautious about recommending books in a workplace, even to uh, other non-white people. Excellent suggestion about uh, Googling things uh, because (laughs) white people do a lot of the same trashy antics in the workplace. So there is probably uh, another non-white person or another 5000 non-white people who have had this exact type of terrorism uh, targeting them. So and they might have written a blog about it or made a video about it uh, with some tips. Man, this is what happened. Knowing what I know now, this is what I would have done. That type of thing. Lots of of those type of posts exists. Workplace racism is a very common problem. Uh, The white woman, Dr. Uh, Patricia Sias, uh, she was with us last week. No, two weeks ago. We've had a number of white people here since then. Two weeks ago. Uh, she was, uh, well, let's just say she started the program off insisting that she was Hispanic and we had to invest, I think, about the first 20 minutes to uh, get her through her laughter to concede that she is in fact a white woman. So, uh, it was constructive with regards to, I think, uh, revealing what it means to be white what racism white supremacy is how it works uh I don't know that she had you know exponential quality recommendations for workplace racism. She had some things, but um yeah, we still pretty are still pretty solid in terms of content suggestions logic offered on workplace racism, but Dr. Sayas was a hoot uh let's see white guests only uh other folks who well, let me weave in an email or two and then we'll get our other callers. Uh, let's see. Other emails. All right. Uh, one of our investors, she writes in still not feeling well. Apologies for the typos. Self-care is important. Uh, they say if you are not feeling your best, get more rest, uh, that that is Crucial, getting more rest, getting more water, more fluids, uh, certainly vitamin C. Broccoli is explosive in vitamin C. Just had some of that. So uh, more rest, more fluids, more vitamin C. Get some tea, get some ginger. Let's see. Uh, I find the news segments at the start of the Workplace Racism program informative perhaps keep this part shorter as more people seem to be writing calling into the broadcast for advice but have some articles reserved as a backup for slower programs hmm, how about that last week I wrote about a male teacher attempting to groom, oh yeah attempting to groom my daughter and one of her school friends with the offer of a trip to see the Lion King hmm, remember that I reported the matter to the head teacher and relied on those in charge to resolve the matter However, I did tell two other parents about the matter as I was concerned. Unfortunately, I encountered some peculiar anti-blackness. There was another child that the teacher seemed to show inappropriate interest in who was in the same class as my daughter. Apparently, he would often pat this child on the behind. Yikes. I informed her mother of the situation, but I didn't know her too well, so I left her to follow up with the head teacher. This parent was also non-white and albino.
3: Hmm.
11: Alright. Uh. Hmm. Like, uh. Wow. <laughs> just pawed like uh like medically, Albano like not you know, saying the person is, is messing up or anything, just like for real, like not just All right, Albano, non white and albano, continuing. Uh but may have had a white parent, although I'm not one hundred percent sure. Wow, that's that's a lot. Anyway, her husband was white, so her daughter could easily pass for white. But get a few questions from racist suspects. Non-white people would assume she was white without seeing her mother. I also told another parent about the situation as her child was in the same class and good friends with my daughter. As far as I know, the teacher didn't act inappropriately towards her. But I was still concerned and would want to be told if I was her parent. All good there. I was shocked by her comments. My daughter and her friend, who were invited to see the Lion King, look alike, and I'm sure people thought they were related. Grown-up examples of people to compare them with are Lauren London, Nipsey Hussle's wife, or Bianca Lawson, Beyonce's stepsister. Rather than focus on what I had told her, she was more focused on what the children look like. Her response was, I'm glad my child looks the way she does, Naomi Campbell. Just because her daughter wasn't invited to the Lion King did not mean she wasn't at risk, but apparently that wasn't the first thing on her mind. I didn't say another word to her on the matter. Hmm. I wonder if she said she thinks her daughter looks like Naomi Campbell or hmm, that's odd. Anyway, uh, finally, you need to be consistent in your children's life and practice what you preach. My parents were there. Oh, this is all right. So this is related to what we talked about last week in terms of uh, if your child has white friends and how do you stop that? Right. We had a parent who called in about that. All right. So you need to be consistent in your children's life and practice what you preach. My parents were very protective with their children, so I was surprised when my sister was allowed to spend time at the home of a teacher who lived down the street, white male. Yikes! She was friends with his daughter, who was in the same class. When my daughter was around five years old, my mother would allow her to play next door with the racist suspect family, even though she did not like the wife. Now that's kind of wild. That's kind of wild. I think uh at least a lot of the black people that I know if it's like if it's period sometimes a person that they don't like that they have some sort of active conflict with a lot of times that will mean denied access to their children. Like you will not get to hang out with my children if we have ongoing beef. Uh hmm, but anyway, uh I put a stop to this. If the child needed a playmate, she would need to go to my parents' house, not the other way around. My child was not the help. Eventually, they went back to Germany. We talked about that. Do you allow your offspring into the White House. Uh, and I talked about the dangers of that. And I would say that's a big no. It, you could, Lots of ways that you can work around that. You can meet at a neutral site. You can have them come to your house where you can supervise, that sort of thing. You can meet at a park. Lots of things. But I would not have my child at a white person's house. That just lots of hazards, lots of programming. Uh, the system of white supremacy is daunting. Capital W capital s that one hour at a white person's house can do more damage than you know especially during holiday season uh but let's yeah the the uh the anti-blackness like now this is in the context of a school situation you got suspicious activity with A teacher who I think she said at least is no longer working there. We don't know the circumstances of how he was relieved, but he's not there anymore. Uh, You got questionable conduct, really uh, incorrect conduct. You know, he's taking these uh, unreported field trips and unauthorized all the rest of it uh, that are supposed to be secret and all that. Uh, and so you're just sharing information. I'm just trying to be, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a concerned parent and trying to help out another parent, another non white parent so that you can be informed about what's happened, happening and, you know, do your due diligence. And you're not even interested. (laughs) You're, you're off on something else about how your child looks and all that. (sighs) Hey, our conditioning has been conditioned. Uh, and that's why I said I would have, pause in a workplace environment just because hey it's it's so many different things uh in a system of white supremacy i just wouldn't be totally reliant that this is going to be a non-white person who's sincere and you know especially in a workplace setting this isn't even that this is just a school environment you have a lot less vulnerability and you're still sensing like wow there's some anti-blackness here i'm just trying to help you <laughs> and then, so yeah that Capital W, capital S. That is sad to hear, but hey, white people have done a job on us. And it seemed like that's kind of curious if, if the person is married to a white person. These might be some folks who have some peculiar like white validation and peculiarly victimized so I guess that's something to be mindful about as well but all you can do is protect yours you did A plus work keeping your child safe as possible and great recommendations about being consistent practicing what you preach it is totally worthless if you tell your child you know white people practice racism white supremacy and they may harm you and then you go and have lots of white friends and hang out and are joking with them they see that like that That modeling is more powerful than anything that you say. So walk it as you talk it. Number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have, so uh, the first person who wrote in, non-white, non-black person, so-called Mexican, runs up to him. We are hoping to get information because the email was written that this uh, so-called Mexican, non-white, ran up to him and said, oh, man, race soldiers are terrorizing me. What shall I do? (laughs) And we were kind of taken aback, like, wow, did they use that language specifically, like race soldier? terrorized like wow who are these folks uh, but uh, he was saying that uh, the report was white people are mimicking their way of speech uh, and this person was asking for advice what to do uh, And so we were talking about that how would you respond in a workplace setting uh, if you have thoughts about that and or if you have your own situation uh, star six one uh, line should be open Hi, Uh be in Toronto yes ma'am
18: Hi, greetings to you, callers and listeners. Uh, so for the first email that was read, um, and this is strictly VGQ, and it may be interpreted as very cold, um, but I'm I'm very, very... I would be very reluctant um, uh, to say anything. Um, in fact, I would uh, play as if I was done on the issue. And... Um, the, the first thing that would come to mind is race soldier. Oh, wow, that's an interesting term. What does that mean? Where'd you get that term from? Um, asking questions like that. Um, and the reason why I mentioned this is because um, earlier when I started uh, working um, in my early teens and early 20s, um, uh, I and I wasn't so codified, um, I would notice that a lot of the non-white, non-black uh, employees would often adopt a kiss-up, kick-down strategy. Um, however, uh, when it came to topics of racism, that's when they want to come over and ask for advice and then eventually get you to become leader of the pack and ask you to speak on their behalf only for um well in 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 that case myself when I had actually taken it on um you know be be the uh brunt of of uh, the backlash um ending up losing my job while they keep their job because all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found um so uh that's the reason as to why i would i i would not say much of anything other than um you know, it seems like the human resources might know more information. Um, have you considered, you know, speaking with them about the issue? Uh, and that is the extent of how I would go with it. I would not recommend any books. I would not recommend anything. Oftentimes with non-white, non-black uh, employees that I've worked with in the past, Um, They often have their own cliques and their own communities that they can go to to get the necessary uh, resources. And oftentimes they tend to have more resources uh, within their own communities than than, uh, we have within the Black unit that we are in. So that's why I would be very reluctant to or uh, not even really share anything um, with them. and, uh, yes, also the other situation is that it could be used as ammunition. Um, the the way that I look at it is um, unless uh, that non-white, non-Black person is coming with the same energy to talk about possible opportunities and resources that are available, if they're not doing that and they're only coming when it's racism, well, uh, that's... Suspicious to me, highly suspicious. So, so that would be my suggestion. Again, BGQ. Um, in terms of uh, that whole term, we're in this together. Uh, Canada tends to to use that a lot. It makes me cringe and gag whenever I hear that um, because uh, we're not all in this together. Mm-hmm. To echo sentiments of what you've mentioned, Gus. Um uh what was interesting about this whole COVID ordeal is that um knowing that there were many essential workers who are um, non-white black um a lot of people white and non-white non-black um seemed to be eager to see how quick uh, black essential workers could catch COVID and how quick they can die and how hurt their numbers would be. So we're definitely not in this altogether. Um, I, it was interesting. I just was thinking about it the other day, um, uh, about how, um, you know, black essential workers are there to help save lives and to help keep the economy going. And at the same time, there are so many people that are wishing death um and curses every day. And I just find it highly disgusting. So I I completely reject that motto. Uh, I did like in the in the podcast um, the earlier newsreel where the lady was talking about um teens. Um uh but just before I get into that. Um, I, I, I wanted to point out that it's quite interesting that whenever essential workers are being interviewed in a lot of these these newsreels, it, it's often um, persons who are white or um, uh, or non-black essential workers that they're interviewing. They're they're not really interviewing black essential workers. Um, and, and the types of situations they have to go to to see if they have to leave one job to possibly take up another that is, you know, um, uh, in a COVID-positive environment that could be detrimental to their health and health of their family. So I always thought that was interesting, but I digress. Going back to the making of teams, I would highly encourage um, uh, Black workers, Black employees, and just Black people to look within their social circle and circle of influence as to who makes up their team and how do you get your resources? So if you have someone who is, okay, you have your family supports, that's great. But do you have, um, are you friends with someone from the medical field um, who can perhaps give you some additional insight about COVID related issues? Are you friends with someone from the legal field who can give you insight about legal issues that you may not be aware of. Um, So expanding your circle to find out as to who else does what um, to to generate information. Um, And the reason why I mentioned this is especially in particular with the COVID, I happen to have quite a bit of nurses in my family. And I also happen to be friends with nurses and doctors as well that I would be able to get some information um, on, on, you know, what's happening out there, other than that of the media, or other than hearsay that I hear from others that may not be related to the medical field. So expanding your circle to to expand um, opportunities of collecting resource to know more information, I think would be highly beneficial. Um, in terms of uh, a quick report. Uh, What I found, which was uh, interesting, were two things that occurred. The first was um, at the plantation. Uh, One of the employees, uh, who is a white male, um, was uh, providing me all of this interesting personal information about themselves and saying that how they like to speak to me because they feel that I'm of the uh, same background as they are. And I thought that this was really highly peculiar, considering that I hardly work with this person. We hardly run in the same circles. And the only reason why I ended up um, speaking with this person is because of one quick issue that I needed to be there to supervise. Um, So it was just quite interesting how this person uh, was, how would I say, compliment bombing to to um, try and ex- extract information from me, which didn't work because I, I could see what where, where this was heading. Um, so just to be very mindful of the compliment bombing, uh, anyone that just wants to get really close to you um, and they're coming out from nowhere, be highly suspicious of that, especially if they're white. Um, and uh, the other thing is in terms of COVID and how it's affecting people. I remember uh, today, I was uh, putting in an appointment for um, uh, seeking a contractor to make a repair. And the lady who sounded white on the phone uh, was just very belligerent. And um, uh, when I was asking to just put in an appointment, they were saying, oh, well, what do you want? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I'm like, this is really odd. So I asked her, are you okay? Okay. And she goes, "Oh, what do you mean in my personal life?" I'm like, "I'm just wondering if you're okay because this is my first interaction with you, and I find it very interesting how you're reacting over making an appointment." Um, uh, safe to say, the appointment was made, but I just, I just thought that it was just really interesting how, how um, I guess unhinged people are becoming. Um, either due to COVID, due to white supremacy, maybe a combination of both, but just to keep mindful um, and safe uh, because people are becoming unhinged by this. And so just be aware of your surroundings. And thank you. That's that's all I have to share.
11: Much obliged to be in Toronto. Uh, That... uh That idiot has been saying hunker down for most of 2020. Uh, I I, I hope we have a lot of cows listeners all over the world who are not too caught up in the so-called horror day season. Like you might sneak a glass of eggnog here or there. Uh, you might, you know, enjoy a sliver of pumpkin pie. But other than that, you're on the grind. You know, we are not, you know, doing uh, Christmas presents and, you know, watching TV Christmas specials and Black Friday and all the rest. I don't know any of that. However, most of the victims of white supremacy and the racists are on the horror days. And so this time of year is normally very stressful anyway. I would imagine that is it is exponentially worse this year because I know at least in the States, they're saying no get togethers. So as opposed to us being able to get together and stress and eat together and argue and get drunk and all the rest of it. uh, Now, none of that. So you'll have lots of folks who are upset about that. Many folks do appreciate having limited time to be around folks that they actually care about. Avoid race soldiers for a few days. That's not there. Probably won't be there for Christmas either for a lot of folks. So that's stressful for many people. I just said there are a lot of new restrictions for lots of folks all over the world, uh, which for some folks is totally ruining business. Uh, very sad into a very sad year. So the stress is real. So what be described in terms of people, people being unhinged uh, and seeming as though they are more anxious, have. Less patience, are quicker to anger. That is probably very legitimate. Another reason, hunker down, uh, try to avoid. That's because it's probably going to be a lot more of that as we you know continue through this whole period. Stay safe. Um, the compliment bombing happens a lot. I think in workplace settings, and a lot of times can kind of get us to lower our suspicions. Uh, and just either confuse us or, or really just have us who we're not following logic and accurately aware of our surroundings and people that we're in contact with. Um, <clears throat> particularly something that's vague like that, like, oh, I just I just love it when we get to do the same shift because we we have the same culture. You know, what does that even mean? <laughs> do you mean people who sleep on the right side of the bed? People who make pancakes for dinner on Friday. People who love cotton candy grapes. Like, what do you mean to have the same co- people who practice racism? Like, what are you even talking about? Like, uh, I guess that is a question. So I guess that could be asked if you're interested. But yeah, all of that. Just like uh-huh. another suspicious white person. And especially with, as you said, just following the logic. Like, we don't even work together. <laughs> like that? Like what? Uh, let's see. Uh. Oh yeah, and and uh, B gave a response to the person who wrote in that we started off the program with, uh, and she said, you know, I don't know how I'd feel about somebody coming, and they want to talk to me about, oh, you're a Negro, so you understand racism. Let me come in uh bellow to you a little while about my mistreatment and then she said she even gave us the little phrase she said it's uh kiss up kick down come on uh let's see that last week we people are, are being very poetic last week we had if you want your child to know it Uh, What is it? It's not osmosis. I messed up the rhythm of it, but it's in the archives from last week. People being very uh, rhythmic on neutralizing workplace racism. But the seriousness of the point, it reminded me we had our caller uh, in Florida at the courthouse, not last week, but it was recent. Uh, He said that there was another person there may have. I think it was a non-white, non-white, non-white non-black person he can uh, correct me my memory is not tremendous so he can set me straight if I am you know attributing things incorrectly but I think he said it was a non-white non-black person victim of racism and it was Rona related they were doing I guess furloughs or layoffs or what have you some sort of reduction in hours and this was someone who didn't normally come chatted up to him like wasn't rude didn't mistreat him but It's not like they had a great rapport. And so this happened and she came like, oh, my goodness. Reduced my hours. Can't believe we're having to go through this. Oh, it's so hard. And oh, it's just ridiculous. And It's thinking like, man, we don't we don't kick it. We don't plan Thanksgiving outings. We don't do lunch together. You don't bring me peanut M&Ms. Like, why are you coming to talk to me to bellyache about your reduction of hours and that? Oh, you're a nigra. You know about hard times. Of course, that's what, like I am absolutely opposed to that in any way, shape, form. Like if this is like I said, if this I don't even know this person. And it's, all oh, you know about racism. Come here. Yes, Negrofo. You can tell me what, what, what do you do when this like, man, <sighs> no, thank you. I am not the resident. Come talk to this here nigra When you think you have a problem with racism, like no way. <laughs> like I don't have a book recommendation, a nothing recommendation, like if we don't talk, that's why I said like, man, like if we don't have a rapport, like this is not something that I would be excited about, like woo, opportunity to discuss counter. I would never be uh, that would never be my pers- my perspective, like, woo, opportunity to talk about racism, white supremacy in the workplace. Like, no, that's not what we I would practice my counter racism techniques. Part of that would include not talking about racism in the workplace. So there's not really a scenario where I would be, oh yeah, now I get to talk to another victim or give out suggestions on racism, white supremacy, unless we have a report, what Emmy talked about. Like I can discern like, oh, okay, this person is legit and that sort of thing. I don't know this person. I'm like, wow. Did you check the policy and procedure manual? I'm cool with that being on record. Like, forever like he went to gus on november 20 and said that these crackers are practicing racism and he said did you check policy and procedure and that was that he didn't have anything else to say about it i think i'll keep my job on that one and we'll live to see another day we'll have to get ready for what they you know what's coming down the pike on monday Uh, much obliged to be in Toronto. Make sure we get a correction. If I am, you know, lying on our caller in Florida, don't make me, you know, allow me to tell stories on you, sir. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have, uh, if we have not heard from you, line should be open.
19: Good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Good evening, everyone. Um, I think I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about the. Um, I read an article about the um, meatpacking plant where the managers, I think, or supervisors were betting on who would get sick um, from COVID, and the uh, higher level managers were sending in the lower level managers because they didn't want to catch the virus. I think there was an actual an actual lawsuit um, on the hand right now about that. Next point. So. I'm still homeschooling my son and you know, next week is they call it Thanksgiving and his teachers um, have been asking him about what he's going to be doing for Thanksgiving and if he's going to eat Turkey. And his response is like, we don't eat Turkey. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. And every time I hear the response, (laughs) I'm like, it's true. That's true. But you know, do I want him saying that? And, um, I would like, um, you know, Gus can give me some feedback about that. And also, um, since like August, uh, my, my husband has lost his job, so there's no income coming in the house. So I had started looking for work. I had an interview yesterday, and um, I, to, to, before I even went to the interview, I had to fill out a form, a pre screening COVID form to see if I um, left the state left like the country, anything like that. So I went in the building, you know, some white guy was at the front desk. He's like, Hey, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm here for an interview at one o'clock. Um, he says, okay. Um, so I sit down, he says, I'm going to call the person. I'm there waiting and stuff. So the white female comes to the door and, you know, she's like, you know, you're so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, I um go up to her. Um, I'm like, you know, what about, you know, should I come in? You don't want to farm about the COVID. You know, she's like, oh, they didn't take you from me the front desk? I said, no. She's like, I didn't get a badge? I said, no. <laughs> so I had to turn back. I went to the front desk. The white guy's sitting there. She knocks on the window. The white guy looks at me. Then looks back at the computer. She knocks again. The white guy looks at me, looks back at the computer. Um, then she had to move and go directly in front of him and then knock on the window and then step back and look at him. And then he gets up and starts taking my form and, um, and, um, giving me the, uh, my badge. So, and, um, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all the report I have for now.
11: Wow. That is, they call it a warm, welcoming reception uh, embraced with open arms. Um, or I guess that's for sure a metaphor in times of the Rona, um, best to you and your attempted husband and, you know, all of the ugliness of the year and hoping that y'all get your employment situation, uh, resolved as soon as possible, uh, as painlessly as possible. Um, that is so typical though with, non-white people especially black people and the whole interview uh process that sort of tackiness where you got to go back and forth just with the processing and getting forms filled out and tacky white people who are not helpful not receptive at all uh let's see the i'm not a parent i will punt on the child component although I guess I'll say I, I don't see a problem with honesty right I mean he didn't launch into uh, Elijah Muhammad's like quoting from message to the black man and you know like he didn't he didn't give them a long uh, diatribe about I don't do pork and the man has been blah, 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 like we don't celebrate it she asked the question right what are you gonna do for thanks? we don't celebrate Thanksgiving are y'all gonna eat turkey we don't eat turkey like, uh, now I'm certainly, I am sure, you know, for a racist teacher, what you, did you hear what this little, he said, I totally, but you know, as long as he doesn't add any, you know, extras on it, I, that's not that unusual. Um, I have bumped into non-white cause I bu- I've bumped into a lot of non-white children, black children, even. Uh, who their family was what they called Jehovah witness. They don't do that either. So yeah, like you don't have to go into a detail in terms of, you know, what's, what's motivated. That would just, I guess, be the key thing. Like I, I don't see a problem with as a non parent, I don't see a problem with honesty in response to that question. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? What are you going to eat? Or are you going to eat Turkey? We don't celebrate and we don't eat Turkey. It would just be to make sure that there's no unnecessary detail. Now, if she asks for a follow-up, like you know, well, why don't you celebrate Thanksgiving? Why don't eat you why don't you eat turkey? Do you hate white people? Like, if it goes into all that, we just don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We don't eat turkey. Like, you don't need to go into a big explanation. And a- same thing, we would say for workplace racism. Like, this is not going to be a five-hour discussion. And let me tell you about the history of Saturnalia. <laughs> We just don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We don't eat turkey. Next. <laughs> like uh your questions have been answered truthfully. Um Let's see. The uh Yeah, I'm not a parent, so I'll hush there. That was leave it at that, I'm sweet. Uh did we have any parents before I nabbed the other callers? Uh any thoughts on that? Your child is asked, um you know, are you going to celebrate what are you going to do for thanksgiving and then you're going to eat turkey uh and your child do you have a a thought on your child responding to that honestly or how you would want your child to respond to that question to a white person in a school environment are there any parents who have already knocked that one out they already got the codified response how they want their child to respond i guess be in toronto she is an attempted mom
18: Yes, um what I would uh tell my son and and what I would also say to the teachers uh when he was younger is we're spending time with family and of story that's how we and that would have been like the same for any horror day if we're spending time with family great time to spend time with family that's it when they get into the whole thing about food, we are like well you know it's it's family time that counts and it's spending with the ones that you love that counts. End of story. <laughs> Thanks, I leave the line.
11: I like that too. I, again, that's no, this is not time for speechifying and let me show you how much I know and I read Ishaka Musa Shango uh, History of European Ho- uh, Holidays and all that. Great read, but this is not the time for that report. Uh, any other parents on their response? Uh, to that portion that if this was a white teacher classroom environment they can take a little time to think on that one if we have any other uh parents uh i reckon uh i appreciated our commentary on the uh The uh, advice portion as well. I got discombobulated in my thoughts. The whole Thanksgiving uh, response portion got me a little thrown off there. But anywho, other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary to share, if we missed you totally, uh, lines should be open. Proceed. from Europe. Rob in California. Yes, sir. Uh, There's just callers and listeners. Uh,
1: Very short uh, commentary this evening. Um, So, the outside dining in San Diego has affected the uh, restaurant industry tremendously, like I'm guessing, and um, other places as well. <laughs> uh, my schedule been kind of all over the place. Um, like, that, uh, mo- for the most part I've been working in the daytime. I have like one time, one uh, nighttime shift. And so, it was so slow yesterday that, uh, my one nighttime shift was last night. And so I I fell asleep on the bus and I missed my stop. And so I had to ride back down to my stop. And I was about a I was about an hour late to work and I still end up leaving about an hour early. Like that's how slow it was. Um so um everyone at the uh everyone at the job right now is kinda filling the um, pressure of the outside dining with it not being enough hours. Everyone kind of like fighting for, um, not fighting for hours, but everyone just wanting to get more hours at this particular time. Um, and I'm just, I'm just staying, I'm just keeping my eye on the situation right now. Um, hunkering down and, um, Yeah, I'll
11: leave it right there. Thank you. for taking my call. Yep. They had those reports for, and again, now, uh, Rob is, he's not even just in California. He's in Southern California. Like you can't really even get, you know, much further South California than before you're in Mexico, uh, Tijuana. Um, is it? Yes, sir. No, I'm sorry. I don't have anything else. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, you can't even get much further south than where Rob is. And he's talking about the huge impact that it's had uh, with the outdoor dining. It's not like it's 20 degrees in San Diego. I I mean, that that would be front page news. (laughs) They would stop talking about the election and everything. Uh, It's not like it's snowing uh, in San Diego, but just that. It's had a huge impact. And I mean, it's starting to get cold now. Like, man, New York, Chicago, here in Seattle, you know, those type of places where it's rainy and windy and snowing and all the rest like man. And I mean, who knows uh, how long all of this is going to be in effect? And I know a lot of places they'd had restricted or even closed indoor dining for a long time or a lot of this year anyway and again this is you know the big holiday season where you'd be having lots of those tacky office parties and all the rest of it and holiday gatherings so absolutely I'm sure it's having a huge impact and again especially with a lot of black people non-white people Uh, so man uh, just hoping that everybody is Doing as best they can and had been heeding that advice in advance about hey, we are not into all that <clears throat> being spending on a lot of craziness, like really about hunkering down, saving nickels, not having a lot of unnecessary uh, expenses and things. Uh, so we can try to reduce our needs as much as possible so that when these type of things happen, we at least can have a little bit of cushion. Uh, man, sometimes a 2020 happens. So you kind of have to be prepared for that as best you can, uh, try to talk about that on a regular basis on the broadcast, even though the system of white supremacy can make it very hard, uh, at times to set up prep so that you can have a little bit of that cushion, uh, to deal when you have a 2020 type situation that happens. Uh, and Even thinking about that, the number of folks who've called in this year and talking about having generators because they have the power go out and, and making sure you have a generator in place, making sure you have toilet paper in place, like uh, lots of uh, components to our code, making sure it's adjusted so that we can deal when we have these type of whew, extraordinary increases in tension, mistreatment, stress uh, in the system of white supremacy. Uh, other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have a hand up number again is seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, seven, three hundred. The code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound. Press star six, one. If you would like to participate. Much obliged, Rob in California. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, commentary observations to share, line should be open. Proceed.
19: I have a real co- quick commentary. Can I can I say something? Yes, ma'am. Um. So, when was it? What was it? was it? Wednesday, right? So my husband had scheduled some kind of like uh home energy efficient, somebody was supposed to come and I guess, see how efficient the house is with energy. Right. So this white tech came here. First thing is mask was not over his nose. <laughs> um, he came here, you know, and, um, you know, he sat down, he was asking us questions about what kind of um, appliances we have and stuff like that, how much computers, how much TVs, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, he um wanted to check the refrigerator to see how efficient it was. So he hooked it up, had it um hooked up to some device for a while. Um he came back, you know, he was like, Oh, you know, the, the if the the fridge is not efficient enough, you know, and they they give you get, they can give you a, a energy efficient fridge, right? A free fridge, right? Do we want a free fridge? You know, I'm like, Okay, you know, if it's gonna cut up cut down on the bill. You know, why not? Well you take it. So I said to him, you know, I said, I was asking him, I'm like, you know, how come you guys only check the fridge? You know, I'm like, how come that you guys don't check the dishwasher and the oven seeing it's electric and stuff. His response is like, Oh, we don't go around giving away free appliances. <laughs> right? And I'm like, it's, it's not about giving away free appliances. we come here to do a, 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 a energy efficient check. Why wouldn't you check all the appliances? You know, I'm like, we use the stove, the stove is electric. His response is, Oh, do, do you do you run the do you run the soap twenty four hours? Um uh, I said no. Um So I, then he's like, Oh, um and he said so I said, Oh, so you're checking things that run twenty four hours. And he's like, Yeah, you know, we're only checking things that run twenty four hours. If you want to see how efficient your your soap is, you have to check it yourself. That was his response. And yes, and that's special one the special one this year.
11: So tacky. We talked about that yesterday when we wrapped up uh, Isabel Wilkerson's case, the origins of our discontents. When you have to uh, hire a white person to come do work or inspect or something on your residence and uh, they end up practicing. We've had a number of folks, Mac that I think back over it, who have had to hire folks to come and do work at their residence and racism, white supremacy ends up being what they have to deal with. And she talked about having this white plumber and, you know, he's rude and all this. And the whole charade she had to go through to get him to see her as a human being. Uh, But just the tacky, it does not get any better than tacky. Like, I'm just trying to finagle you out of a free oven. (laughs) Like, uh, I thought we're just doing it as opposed to just explaining the policy like, oh, we just check appliances that are on continuously. Your oven is, is only on intermittently, so we don't need to check that. You know, your dishwasher's not on all the time. We don't need to Oh, okay. Now I'm in it. Like, ah, old thieving niggas trying to scheme our way out of a toaster oven or <laughs> like, gee whiz. Woo, does not get any better than tacky. Uh, and I was in error. I said I, I got discombobulated with the child component thing. Um she mentioned the wagering at the chicken plant. That's what it was, not the commentary about the uh, person coming in for the emails. I mean, for advice on racism, I played the audio segment at the beginning. I saw that report and said, how could I not include that for workplace racism? Yes. Wagering on probably non-white employees getting the Rona and deliberately. So putting them in unsafe conditions. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. Uh, other folks, if you have uh, comments, thoughts to share. Again, if we have uh, parents, if you're taking a little time to ponder how you would want your child to respond uh, if a white educator asked them, "What are you doing for Thanksgiving? You're going to have turkey. How would you want them to, you know, talk about that in the best manner possible?" You can think on that too. Uh, other folks with commentary. Hi, Gus. Be in Toronto.
18: Hi, I have um, two other quick things uh, to mention real quick. Um, There was another um, situation with a mom who was concerned that the teacher was grooming her child and her friend um, by asking them to go to the Lion King. Um, So, yes, uh, I remember when my son was going to elementary school, um, there was actually a discussion with the parents. As to whether or not they should allow um, a new family in because uh, this was an elementary uh, alternative school, so um, in order to to be able to uh, gain access to the school, um, parents had to go through interview nights, children had to go through interviews, um, and then from there it's determined as to whether or not uh, the child would be able to go in. However, if the parent uh, had a questionable background. Um then uh, there would be a meeting with the parents to determine whether or not that family would be allowed to come into the school so for this particular parent, he was charged with um as a sexual offender um uh, uh, engaging in in uh being a pederast, uh, meaning that um he was uh in particular going towards uh teenage teenagers or uh, youth and uh mainly the gender was female um so there was a meeting as to whether or not he and uh would be able to come and pick up his children from the school uh considering that there was a secondary school that was above the elementary school Uh, so there were two separate schools in uh, inhabiting the same building um so naturally I voted no. And luckily my son was, was graduating and, and leaving out of the elementary school. Um, however, the and this person was white. So the majority of uh, parents who were white voted him in and allowed the family to join them. Um, even though he was a, a registered sex offender, which still blows my mind to this day. Um, so uh, regardless if it's a parent, if it's a teacher, um, I would highly recommend to remove your child from the school. Um, oftentimes, uh, other parents and other staff will not, um, uh, will not join in or, um, be a part of your team. Oftentimes, you will be going through it alone and you will be encountering a lot of, um, anti-black, uh, sentiments. Um, I know that when I was um, mentioning my rebuttal as to why uh, the the uh, sexual offender should not uh, be able to, to come to the school or even near the school, um, I was uh, the the, the uh, excuse from the other parents were that oh well we are not for discrimination of any kind, and I'm like this is not about discrimination. This is about someone who's been charged with a criminal activity and. Um, their, their, their chances of, of reoffending are quite high if they're within the proximity to the very target uh, that they tend to be a predator towards. So um, definitely remove the child out of that school. Um, the other uh, part that I want to mention quickly was in terms of the vaccine. Um, there's been talk within the workplace about whether or not one is going to get a vaccine. For me, I've just been seeing the answer of I'm not quite sure if I'll get it yet, but I know that in in my mind, I'm not going to get it. Uh, Canada has uh, seven different pharmaceutical companies. um, And based on a report that I was listening to, they were saying that um, because the vaccines were not the same batches, some people or some segments of the community are going to get certain batches while others are going to get other batches. Uh, which sends a a red flag. So just to be highly concerned um, uh, around the vaccines as well. Thanks. And I leave the line.
11: Rob in Wisconsin. Yes, sir. Excuse me, Rob in California. I
1: just had a uh, question as you were laying out the, um, question as to uh, if a <clears throat> teacher was asking a uh, young child what their plan was for the horror day. Now, what was the age of the child in question?
11: Uh, let's see. Our mother... He's
19: six, He's six years old.
1: Six
11: He's years six. old? I'm six years old. And so now,
1: when I heard that question, Um, the thought that I had was that the horror days are, um, the horror days, quote unquote, carry so much weight in the context of white supremacy in our culture. I wonder if a five or six year old child is equipped to handle that question from an adult.
11: Thank you. Right on. Like uh I, know, I think the second question was are you gonna eat turkey? Like that's uh Yay, nay. <laughs> I think that one's pretty I think most five year olds can handle that one. Um Yeah, I think I that, heard? uh t- yes sir, retired firefighter. And I think the first question was uh what are you gonna do for Thanksgiving? Uh I think that's another one. If you're five and you know your family doesn't engage in Thanksgiving, yeah, you can probably Yeah, we don't we don't get out with all that and boop. We just don't do that. That's it. Retired firefighter? Yes, sir.
1: Yes, I, I would uh leave it up to I, I would I would train the child to basically state, Well, sir, ma'am. You can ask my parents, you know, to every last one of those questions, you can ask my parents. My parents are in charge of that man. Well, they, I mean, a, a six year old may not say what I just said, my parents may, but I would train them to say, you would ask, you would have to ask my parents to every last one of those questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any, any, anything else additional that would be centered around something like that or what do you do when you're at home? I would basically state some of the same things that, uh, a child, a six year old would do at school. Drawing. Well, I was doing some drawing. I was reading my books. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's just as simple as that, you know, and, and that, that's within the capacity of a six-year-old to state that. You know, and uh, so it doesn't, it it, it wouldn't take a, a, a much training for them to respond in that fashion. And it's something easily, easy that they can remember because it actually, actually in a situation where, Uh, a parent or parents are less confused that is actually what they're doing or actually what they're not doing so you know the child can you know easily uh, explain that to uh, some uh, teacher at their school how does that sound
19: I actually like that because with me, I, I really want to. I don't want to raise any flags because I. That's it, it, he's been he's been being asked a lot of those questions. He was asked about Halloween. What does he doing for Halloween? And he's like, we don't celebrate Halloween. So I really think that's the way to go to, to let them direct the question to me because I'm always in the area, anyways. Especially since he's um, working from home or going to school from home. I actually like that response. But what happens though when? He's at school, you know, when I'm not there in close proximity. Um, but yeah, it's something to think about. Thank you, retired firefighter.
11: Welcome. Context of white supremacy. Definitely lots to think about being an attempted parent and how much interest really the same, you know, context as a workplace setting. You really want to be mindful about what information you are sharing in that environment. Uh, Same thing. You know, we talk about white people being nosy, right, in a workplace environment and trying to get information. Same thing at school. Nosy white people. A lot of times going to be a nosy white woman. Uh, fishing and trying to get information, trying to information. So same say I guess, kind of preparing them from an early age and being mindful about, you know, what type of information you share. So great job. Great job. Something to think about for you. Lots to think about for attempted parents. That's why I say that all the time. I'm not a parent. Uh, let's see other folks. Uh, if you have commentary observations to share, uh, star six, one line should be open. While folks get their commentary together, we should be here uh, tomorrow. Compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll go over, you know, what has transpired the last seven days, how we're all heading into the so-called holiday madness. And I guess Rona madness. They've been saying Uh, I was at the grocery store today and I did not see craziness like it was no zany lines and you know people squabbling and fighting over corn dogs or anything I didn't see uh, like shortages and uh, things but I had seen news reports that as these kind of the second round of shutouts and Robin California was talking about they got all the restrictions on dining and everything that it was kind of going back to some of that madness I didn't I haven't seen that here uh, in the Seattle area and we're you know kind of in lockdown again but They've been saying that that's kind of widespread. So we'll see how folks are navigating all this uh, as best they can. I guess some people have, if you have uh, offspring who are in college or universities, I think a lot of those folks are coming home. A lot of folks, a lot of the universities are doing the wrapping up the academic, uh, at least the the fall semester or fall quarter, uh, wrapping it up at the Thanksgiving break. So I guess some folks might have, Students, young scholars, uh coming to hang out uh for some weeks, uh and all of that, so we'll chat that up tomorrow. Compensatory call in and uh yes, next week we'll be getting ready for our new book, Jeff Tubin Run of His Life The People vs OJ Simpson. So excited. Old Jeff Tubin again not fired at CNN. Mm. Uh, Before I double check with the folks who dialed in, I saw they had a report. We've had so many uh, talks about the Zoom conferences, you know, and having to do virtual uh, these virtual conferences and things since nobody's in the office. And they had I saw an article where I suspect these are white people. I could be wrong. But they were talking about how you can basically make it look like you have a bad Wi-Fi signal if you're on a Zoom call so it looks body. They were talking about this and saying they needed to make this, you know, look good (laughs) for a work presentation. And it took me like it was another one. I was baffled. It took a while for my my brain computer to even process what I was reading like. You want to make it appear as though you have a bad Wi Fi connection so that your Zoom conference looks bad to your coworkers. Either I guess I don't even know what for, all that wasn't explained, is it? So that they so that you can get out of the Zoom conference, uh or this will just justify Uh, your screen looking bad and crazy so that people won't pay as much attention to you. Like, I, I don't know, you know, to what end all of this is for. Is your job supposed to spring to get you upgraded Wi Fi? Like, what's, what is the end goal of this? But, uh, I, when we talk about studying white people, what does it mean to be white and the conduct, uh, throughout all of this with the Rona and how this has impacted the workplace? Like, why the fact that in it was like, this was a lot of people involved in this, you know, dialogue uh, about how you can make it look like you have a bad wifi connection on the zoom conference, like deception in the system of white supremacy. I don't know if anybody needs that. If that's some, uh, something we've talked about that, I guess, Emmy said, Hey, if it's a problem you're experiencing in the workplace, Someone else has probably already gone through it. So if we had anybody who was looking for that information on how you can trick people and make them think that you have about a bad Wi-Fi setup and that's why your Zoom looks bad. That info is out there. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, observations, suggestions uh, you would like to share, especially attempted parents, Line should be open. Proceed. Have you heard? Greetings, caller in Florida.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, the, the, the non white person that, uh, that was talking about the furloughs, that was, um, that was accurate. And actually, she, uh, she came up to me again, right? So I didn't give a response. Um, cause see, she started uh, on our side, basically. So she like, oh, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad Biden won and uh, Trump's not the president or whatever. Um, you know, cause he's just racist and this and that. So I said, well you know, uh, I got to take this call, so, you know, I'll talk to you later. So, she just walked off, or whatever. Um, So, that came up, my first one. Uh, The second one is uh black female victim of racism. This morning, she was speaking with two white women, and I don't know, maybe she was trying to get me to engage in dialogue, but and I use the, the phone method on that too. She was saying that her son is the only one in Taekwondo uh martial arts class. And I guess she was saying that her son keeps saying himself that he's the only black kid in there. So I thought that was interesting and, you know, uh, one of the white women responds, Or, you know, what what area did you take him in? So she says well, on uh, such and such road in our area. So I guess that's supposed to mean a more white, quote-unquote white area or whatever. And she says, but in the dance class that he's in, it's more black kids than that one. And in the martial arts, there's more white kids or whatever. So they were just talking about that. Um, my third one is there was a conversation that I was having with uh, a black female victim where I was just about to walk off and uh, one of a proud MAGA, you know, click member, uh, she walks over. So she she says, she, she made some kind of sound or whatever. So, ooh, ooh, Did I I scare you? Did I scare you? And And I know I think you had an anecdote about that, how they like the, you know, how they try to scare you or frighten you or whatever. I said, not a chance, basically. So she is talking to the victim and, uh, she says something. I barely caught it. Says, oh, you know, I was coming to remind you that, uh, she was texting the guy that she's dating or whatever. And he's up in court. <laughs> but from from how they, how she reacted, she's like, oh, uh, she wants, Miss Such and Such, the black person, wanted to know, are you meeting with your KKK um, meeting tonight or something, your KKK cult? And then so, I looked at her and she's smiling or whatever. So, I said, uh, what is, is that how you, is that how you re- reacted? And she, the, the, click member says, oh, well, that's what she called it. So the black person called the white people, you know, a part of the KKK cult. So very bold, very, very bold act. Now, I, I wouldn't have said it, but that's, I guess, how the, you know, the click member reacted. Uh, the guy that she's with, She says that she used the term cult, C-U-L-T, but this guy is using the term brotherhood. So a lot of terms being used for this Masonic, that's another word, um, uh, area that he goes to a temple or whatever. But she said KKK. So that was another um, incident. Uh, I have two more. Uh, there was an encounter where I was training someone because she had an issue with doing the jury summits because they've been canceling them because of COVID uh, in the county. So we get to an area where another member makes a comment. She says, oh, well, I see you have a person you're training today. And she says, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's involuntary and starts giggling. So she looks over and says, Oh, well, I do see that you have somebody new with you. And, um, you know, they pick up, she picks up the mail and puts it in the bin. And, uh, I guess she starts doing some kind of flexing with her muscle or whatever because of how heavy the bin is. And, the uh, member, the click member says, oh, looks like we have a flexing contest. And then she looks at me and says, are you next? And I say, I got somewhere to go. And then I just walk off. So uh my next one is, I think I mentioned this about the dress code. And another part I want to mention is that the Wharton has, in a slick way, um, Given white people I think three chances to uh infringe on the policy before I guess she addresses people um, but like I mentioned before, she left the black female out assistant manager out, and I questioned this, and nobody really mentioned anything about it, but I also said I'm thinking that she's manipulating a, uh, another black person to go around and look for her to see who is, a who isn't, or especially who isn't, uh, a bottom by the dress code. Um, and I've been seeing a increase of that a little more. Uh, my last one is this happened when I went to the post office and, uh, the anti-blackness was massive because, I was just waiting in line to get a receipt for the passports, so this uh black female she was processing the receipt and everything just just one envelope uh I didn't say anything. I was silent, so you all of a sudden you hear a snorting no uh noise like someone's you know sniffling or has a cold or you know clearing a throat, whatever it was she looks up at me and she, you know, she keeps looking and the sound keeps happening. Somebody keeps snorting. So she says, Oh, you know what? I was about to let you have it. I thought she was making fun of my, uh, service being slow. So I was like, wow. (laughs) I said, Nope. I'm just waiting for the receipt. You know, somebody in the, in the line, apparently. So she applied that to me, making like I was snoring, like going to sleep and trying to mimic her being slow paced and getting poor service. So I'm like, is she implying that she wasn't trying to give me good quality service? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I thought that one was interesting. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak.
11: Woo, that is that. All-powerful, intimidating, frightening, toxic blackmail. Everyone quivers at the sound of his voice. Hide the children. You know, tuck away the dog. He's gonna kill us all. The blackmail. Hmm. That's wild, like James Bond. (laughs) I thought, at, I thought at the post office you have to behave like they say we're done with the air of the disgruntled post worker like you're not going to be threatening employees and I was about to tear into you fella up here mocking <laughs> like whoa I'm just trying <laughs> she said be said that people are on edge she said people are unhinged and you could just see it like <laughs> they're ready to stand that's why I said hunker down like Woof, you got to go through all that just to get through at the post office to get a receipt. Like, wow. Uh, let's see uh, the dress code. I've said that, too. I've seen where they can get really tacky about the dress code in the workplace where they literally will just go. Over and I don't know, oh, 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 we got a dress code violation right here, says that the sock is supposed to be. No lower than one inch below the knee, and yours is, I think, yep, that is an inch and a quarter below the knee. Yep, get the supervisor. Like, I've seen where it'll get real tacky. Like, it's not somebody is wearing something that looks like they're at the club or anything like that. It's just something, you know. Goofy. <laughs> like, my, sometimes it's even, they had a change. Like, they had it in the policy you could wear sneakers before. Now you can't wear sneakers. And it's not like the person wore their garden sneakers. Like, it could be a brand new pair of nice sneakers. Nothing wrong with them, but they are sneakers. They're up, oh, up, oh, he's got sneakers, and the policy changed on Monday, November 16th. And, yep, 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 you're not in compliance. We got to go get the supervisor. Yep, right him up. I've seen where it can be real tax. So, what I would say policy and procedure, if they update the dress code, follow it. And that's why I've said consistently, when we go to the workplace, you're not trying to look cute. I know that's more of a female thing than a male, but I have seen where well, a lot of males even then, you know, I'm going to have, you know, fresh tie and new jewelry. I got a new watch and shoes and can get up real out of hand too. So, uh you're not trying to be fly in the workplace. Like We're here to work. And and more importantly, I'm not really trying to draw any attention from anybody, victims or white people about my attire in the workplace. That is the core of it, because you're already going to get a whole lot of unwanted attention. And I've seen where that can become a problem. If it's a non-white person, even if you dress really well, like your grandparents, you can be like, Generation, you know, Taylor and you, I mean, put Brooks Brothers to shame. Fine. That is not really the time and place to display all that. Save that for once you're off work. I've said consistently, it would be really frugal attire. I'm not trying to stand out and I would have the exact same thing. Meaning you literally you can get five pairs of the same slacks, the same blouse, not wearing outlandish colors, a lot of gaudy jewelry, nothing like that. Just the same thing. It follows it is in accordance with policy and procedure. And it's not one of those things, oh wow. Is that a new suit? Wow, are those new heels, Margaret? Like what? Not at all. Not this is not the fashion show, especially a bad look, I think, for victims of racism because we already get too much attention from racists and sometimes victims. All of that to say, he said that they that race soldiers were manipulating. He thinks the evidence suggests manipulating another victim a black person to go around and do the snooping and then report back. We've said that we've had too many reports about that over the years. That's all the way back to the plantation. That's why I said, like you just have to assume you are under surveillance and it's very easy to manipulate other victims of racism to participate in this because they are victims subject to racism. Um, the flexing contest is, in the world and I guess I'd even pause we're in Florida I thought Florida they just had all the, the Rona cases over the summer and the shutdowns now I would think maybe we got higher priorities than the dress code I mean I guess if people are coming in and they're dressed really scandalous maybe we need to elevate that up but I mean really like hand sanitizer isn't a higher priority we got furloughs happening and we're going around to make sure everybody's shoelaces are correct like come on anyway the the flexing contest I've never heard of that uh for a workplace situation like it doesn't get any better than tacky that is absolutely one that does not warrant a response are you next I have got filing to do good day ma'am like what is going on it is two thousand twenty and let's see. Uh, and I definitely would not participate in anything, uh, of that nature because again, we're supposed to be all about projecting seriousness, uh, in the workplace and just, I mean, a black male, I'm going to engage in some sort of muscle flex. Talk about toxic black masculinity. Um, I would not recommend talking about your children's activities in the workplace. Uh, I know we mentioned about, parent talking about their child being the only black person in the martial arts class. And they got more, they got more black children, I guess in the dance class, I just wouldn't talk about my children's activities, uh, in the workplace, uh, You know, VGQ, we all set our boundary about what is acceptable, but I've said I wouldn't have pictures of my family and what have you. My offspring up in the office, I would just make that a part of my code. I'm not talking about my child. You know, if they're in this activity or doing that or school activities, none of that. Keep it on business Uh, I wouldn't even to the best of my ability I wouldn't even have that be common knowledge that oh yeah I'm a parent and my children are this age and blah 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 like (laughs) not here to talk about that at all this is not my family these are people that I work with let's get back to business not sharing that sort of information about and I can just feel like a tacky joke waiting uh, with any really anything but yeah, Taekwondo, paper mache, anything. There would be some sort of tackiness waiting. Uh, and then it may even be an offer. Maybe our children can do this together and we can go as a group. I wouldn't talk about what my offspring do in the workplace. Um, I said... This goes circle all the way back to the beginning of the program. There's no circumstance where I would be excited about talking about racism in the workplace, even with another non-white person. This non-white person coming up and saying, "Oh man, that Trump is a no-good racist." Boy, I t- like we like that. My response to that would be about the same as the white woman coming to saying, "Oh, we're gonna have a flexing comp sex. You next." It'd be the exact same response to both. Of, Ooh, I got this filing. I got to catch up on. I will catch you later. We're not paid to talk about Trump being a racist, Biden being a racist, Governor DeSantis being a racist. Re- That's not what we're here for. And particularly a non-white. And the same thing I said. I'm glad my memory wasn't that bad. A non-white person I don't talk to. Like we don't have a rapport like that. Why are you even coming up to ask me a question like that, or to even say something like that, like you're trying to engage me in this. Di- oh, yeah, he's the most racist president ever. I can't stand that crack. I'm glad he's out of the gas. <laughs> We got filing to do. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. We're not talking about race. I keep saying that. We're not talking about racism in the workplace, and particularly those election seasons. It'll be a lot of that where they try to goad you into talking about racism even other victims Uh, it'll be a variety of ways they'll say something about Trump or ask you who you voted for who do you think is going to win and then they want to come back and do updates like that I do not discuss politics in the workplace I certainly that's not going to be the jump off point like I was just waiting for somebody to call Trump a racist so I could launch into my tirade about what a, a no count racist white person like come on like And I cannot emphasize enough that to me is just like, whoa, danger back up. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be real careful about you. Same thing he just said with the dress code, like racist. It's very easy for them to manipulate other non-white people, you know, and he said he works with white people that do experiments at the courthouse. Like, this could be another experiment. (laughs) Like, let's go around and say, call Trump a racist and see how people respond. Remembering Trump did win Florida. No talking about racism in the workplace, even with other non-white people. I'd say, even if you have a rapport with them, I don't talk about racism. If you want to talk about solving problems, you think racism is being practiced against you? I think Emmy said, "Hey, I am discerning." If I can conclude, hey, this person is sincere, this is a victim, and they are really stressed out, see if I can offer some tips, great. Then even with that, I'm going to be discerning. I don't know this person. We don't have any rapport. I don't have anything to say. We'll pause there. Well, We pretty much did our program. Did we miss anybody? Anybody have a, a final thought they want to Make sure that they get in before we wrap up. We'll be here tomorrow, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Compensatory call in. Uh, Any final thoughts before we wrap up?
13: Assume
11: everybody is good. Grant will do it uh, tomorrow evening ask again about the uh, parents uh, and how they would want their child to respond uh, if uh, a teacher, a white teacher specifically was asking them, we'll ask about that tomorrow we'll have different set of uh, parents uh, and they might have already talked about all that good stuff uh, with their offspring, we shall see uh, much obliged to everyone for their participation, uh, hopefully worthy of your time and energy this Friday evening uh, man sobriety would be best i suspect uh sobriety checkpoints if they're not out this weekend they will probably uh begin to appear sometime by the middle of next week and they'll be here until you know for the next 7 days or so i would be mindful of that uh if you you know are participating might be a silver lining there might be a reduction in all of the typical uh, end of the year holiday duis and alcohol related traffic accidents and such uh, because we don't have all these get togethers uh and things so maybe that'll be what they call a silver lining uh, in all of this you won't have to do all the tacky uh office parties uh and things but man sobriety Would be best under conditions of white supremacy. We will need high level thinking to solve this problem. Uh, In addition to being sober for many reasons, uh, I think B said it, folks being unhinged. Had folks even dialing in just to get uh, an appointment set up and, and getting an attitude around that like unhinged furloughs and and all the rest of it be very mindful of that Uh, i said hunker down Uh, we got a lot of folks have restrictions so i guess there's kind of some uh forced hunkering down anyway but uh, i would not recommend going out if you can kind of bulk shop maybe uh so you don't have to go out on a regular basis kind of minimize some of your Uh, trips as best you can Uh, it just seems like it has been unsafe for many reasons for the bulk of this year and it doesn't seem like that's going to change as we get ready to cruise into 2021 so hunker as best you can if you're going out be very mindful uh, if it looks like people are being aggressive loud uh, in the environment I would not take any chances I'd be thinking that they are probably armed uh, white or non-white, they are probably armed. Uh, if you did not leave your residence with a combat plan uh, that you, you know, already had in mind that you were going to be in fisticuffs or shootout, pff, it is time to roll. Like whatever this outing is, it is done. Safety over everything. We've already had way too many risks uh, this year. We are super risk averse. Risk. Averse as we conclude 2020. Uh, whatever the outing is, we can just try this again at a safer date and time. Uh, anywho, if you got to go out, we're sober. Driver or passenger, you're buckled. If you're driving, you are not on the cell phone. As I said, we need to be very alert about our surroundings, and we're trying to minimize contact with race soldiers. Badge or no, Uh, just minimize the Amber Geigers, the Daniel Holtz Clause in our life to the best of our ability, being sober, being buckled, not on the phone. That's it, creator. We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person, no name calling. It is in the 10 stops. No name calling even when we are super stressed and a non-white person has really gotten on our nerves and really deviated from logic. No name calling. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
1: Nigga, you so brainwashed.
3: I'm a victim, your brother.
1: problem. You're a
11: victim. All right. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been
2: conditioned. (laughs)